Hello and welcome to Green Quest episode 323. I'm your host, Mike Alves, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, recently benoodled David McBurney fan, my master. And classes are out for sports day practice. You're a man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Minogatari. Hooray. Yeah. So I've, I had an extra week of summer vacation, effectively, except for Monday, where I still actually had classes. Reverse Labor Day, some some call it. Yes. <laughs> no, I can't play Card Warriors without updating. Cruel Please fate. Don't do this. Cruel, cruel fate. Uh-huh. Don't play the card games. Don't do it. I mean, I was trying. And guest who just arrived, I noticed, because I happen to have a Discord open. That's you, Joe. Joe, Joe. Joey Jojo Shabadoo. It's the worst name I've ever heard. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) The gang's all here. Mm -hmm. By the gang, I mean a loose association of people. A grand falloon, if you will. It's Mm -hmm. called a crew. No, it's called a grand falloon. The roller crew. Absolutely not. The wheel pirates. Uh-huh. <sighs> I will throw well, you Mr. into the Kelly, sea in and we will the... leave yeah. the Grand Line. <laughs> no! <laughs> want that motherfucking One Piece. Wheels uh, ate of the roll roll fruit, and so uh, he can't swim. So <laughs> the roll roll fruit. Yes. <laughs> So what are my okay. powers then with the roll of food? Do I just I just roll whatever they are? You're exhibiting whatever they are. You're exhibiting them. Sweet, they're terrible. <laughs> circular logic, circular logic. <laughs> they're whatever you Everything are. Round. Everything right. is round let's, and round. And let's round. bring this thing full circle, okay? Uh, okay, so uh, let's uh, let's get the show on the road. Uh, Gaijin, you've been you've been missing for a bit. What have you been playing or doing in One that time? time? Oh, well, I've been trying to get my Game Boy SP to actually properly charge. Yeah, that seems like slightly a losing battle. Yeah, I mean, it, the light pops up for maybe three seconds whenever you plug it in, mm. and internet tells me that it's some that there's like a better than fifty percent chance of just jump starting it back to full ability to charge if you just keep plugging it in over and over again. Um, hasn't happened yet. How long are you gonna keep trying at it? <laughs> uh, until I can find a, sc- a screwdriver that can actually open the back of that thing. Mm. Which I think I have one that's actually small enough. It's just it's stuck. Yeah, so I guess, um, you get a twenty-year-old screw. That'll happen. Yep, so uh, finding someone capable of opening it is a different question. Uh, so. Some sword in the stone shit. Mm-hmm. So. On the bright side, the once ir- it's open, the irony being that's that the easy part. were designed apparently to actually be easy to change the batteries out. <laughs> Since yeah. it actually has a regular Phillips head. Yep, unlike all the uh, Game Boys to that point and... DS's after would use weird, weird screws that you need to get very specialized tools to open. Mm-hmm. Huh? So I so suppose that's preventing you. Hmm? The answer is pretty much nothing right now. I've got some random stuff on Steam that I've been poking around again. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. I suppose that's preventing you from uh, from taking your uh, your survey winner. Oh no, my absolute survey loser because the survey ah. had three votes and each of them was for a different thing. I voted for Narakiri Dungeon for what it's worth. Oh, cool, thank you. <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> But uh, well, that's uh, that's that's the way it goes. One one way or another, you'll end up with a working Game Boy, whether by hook or by crook. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Weird to think that that brand has been retired for nearly twenty years now. That's weird. Yeah, just kicking myself for letting it sit on the shelf for over a year without bothering to charge it up again. Such is life. Yeah, I mean, I, you would have thought I would have. Ha- I've learned from having to jumpstart my Vita twice in as many years, <laughs> which I have been keeping that thing regularly topped up, <laughs> despite not using it and like having a it car battery. Off. Yeah. So I mean, I I've double checked, and my 3DS and my Vita still w- turn on. Uh, definitely. If only. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Joe, what have you been playing? Well, I am Smoking Joe Gamer, and I have been keeping up with my streams, so I played a whole... Oh, leading with the plug. (laughs) Yes, but I'm leading with the plug because, if you tuned in, I played a whole bunch of Sega Genesis shoot-em-ups, some of which were very difficult. Um, How many of them were on plan? (laughs) Well, no, that I ended on Truxton, and that's the one where mm-hmm. I got the farthest. That one's quite good. Um, but let me see. Um, two of them were Japanese, and that's why I can't remember the names off the top of my head. But can't um, wait for it to turn out to be like Biohazard Battle and Cursed. No, um, don't play Cursed. That game runs like shit. It's incredible. <laughs> so one of them is you play as this like blonde girl with like a jetpack. And it was only released in Japan. It's the second game of a series. But then eventually, like, a brunette girl joins her. And then you control both of them. And it's actually pretty neat. Um, huh. Really weird bosses in that game. I'm wondering what that's called. And then I played Advanced Buster Hawk Glaylancer. Uh-huh. And then there was the other one, um, Musashi, I think it's called. Or something, Musha, something like that. I don't know. Oh, Musha! Yeah, Musha. Musha. One, of the, one of the Alusta games. Um, no. Super Famicom. It would have been. Um, no, yeah, this would have been. No, this would have been the Genesis one. It's part of the Alust franchise. A L E S T E. Then, yes, Musha. Yes. Okay, you're right. So, developed by Compile, released 1990 for Genesis. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so I played Musha. I played. Uh, I tried to play Darius the um, on the Sega Genesis Mini console. They ported the uh, arcade version of Darius One to Genesis for the first time, just to put on that console. I guess that was a really and, strange choice, but yeah, they did do that. <laughs> it was, and I can't beat the first level, unfortunately. So it's hard. <laughs> it is. So played a bunch of those games. 
And I'm going to do some Saturn shoot 'em ups next. So that's where I'm going to cover a layer section. I'm going to do the Saturn version of Parodius because it's it's pretty neat. I like that one. <laughs> it's like um, three Saturn Parodiuses. Oh, there are. Oh boy. Because there's exciting. there's, oh, there's yeah. Parodius, Da, and Sexy Parodius all came out on the Saturn. There's also okay, the. I mean, okay. yeah. Did you ever think that they would just stop at one of those? If they got away with the first one, no, they're going to go for as far as they can with that thing. Those games are awesome. The last Parodius on Saturn is the weird tactical RPG spinoff Paro Wars. That one's kind of hard to play. <laughs> wow. Well, I only play as the Penguin guy, just so you know. Good old Penta. Um, yeah. Um... So the one I played on Saturn, it it has the original arcade game, but then it has another one like there's there's another newer one on there too. Yeah, that's that's Parodius and Parodius Da Gokujo Parodius. Okay. Um, I did play Sexy Parodius on PS One. I didn't know that was also on Saturn. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And there's one other Parodius that I think probably got a Saturn release. Uh, GKO Shoppery Parodius. That's the. Uh, yeah, I think that that must have gotten a Saturn release. Yo, I hope so. Oshaberi Parodius. That was a. Uh, that one was like specific. Yeah, yeah. It has a Saturn. Yeah, it was the fourth Parodius. Uh, it has a Saturn release, and uh, it was it was like console specific. There was not an arcade version of GQ Oshaberi Parodius. Uh, but, yeah, um, I want to say, yeah, the Saturn version has the incredible, uh, full title of GQO Shaberi Proteus, uh, live forever with me, which is a play on the Saturn, it's a play on the Saturn port of Tokimaki Memorial subtitle forever with you. <laughs> because of course like, it is. Because it's a parody of a... Because of the parody of Konami games. <laughs> yeah. So that was so it was fun playing those games when I wasn't getting my ass kicked. Um I also, oh also Hellfire is a good one. Um from the set from the Genesis. <clears throat> um so when I do my Saturn shoot 'em ups episode, that will include layer section, uh Darius Gaiden, which was called Galactic Attack in the US for some reason. That's I think maybe the best Darius. It's one of the best. Yeah, I, I happen to like that one a lot. Um, and, you know, there's a hundred others to choose from as well. So I'm sure <laughs> there's I'll... a lot of. There's, you're spoiled for choice on the Saturn. Uh, yeah. The, the Genesis is also kind of spoiled for choice. I assume you'll do some, like, Radiant Silver Gun. Oh, uh, of, oh yeah, of course. But the only thing with Radiant Silver Gun is I have the Xbox 360 version, which. Hmm, I don't think it counts for my theme because it's not playable on a sega console or it's not the sega console version it's pretty much hmm. the same as the saturn game i believe that they, the original uh port the original game i believe was on like saturn arcade hardware so any part of it is kind of just a saturn game <laughs> yeah hmm maybe i can make an exception for that one i'll think about it um see. i can break i can break the rules right? it's not really breaking the rules it's fine. Yeah, it's still. A... Oh wait, was it developed by Sega or published by Sega? It's a it's a treasure game. It was. Okay. Uh, if it's treasure, yeah. So, I think the game I can was. Play it. Yeah. 
it, the game was made for the STV arcade board, which was like the STV stood for Sega Titan Video, and it was just basically a Saturn in an arcade cabinet. <laughs> so any version of Radiant Silver Gun that any version emulating Radiant Silver Gun is just emulating a Saturn. Okay. <laughs> and actually, you could probably argue the same thing with Akaraga because that was originally Dreamcast. That's a Dreamcast and, game, yeah, and it's yeah. just on Naomi Hardware. Yeah. Uh, the other I don't good. Like that one very much. <laughs> I love Ikaruga, but to each their own. Uh, there's. You could do some of the cotton games. Those are pretty cute. I think that there's a wow. good Saturn yeah. version of those. Hmm? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then what... you got the cotton games for Switch. Actually. Yeah, they just did a collection. Yeah, they did a collection oh, about two months ago. Yeah. yeah that's. That's cool. Oh, did you guys ever play Death Smiles? That was a neat game. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, that reminds me. That's a cave shooter. That reminds me. Yes. Uh, yeah. Donpachi and Dodonpachi are on yeah. Saturn as well. They are? Oh. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> wow. I guess I'll just play Saturn shoot 'em ups for the rest of the month then. <laughs> cool. Um, uh, so you, could probably, you could probably put in like most of the year... <laughs> yeah, if you were, if you really wanted to make it, if you really want to make a meal out of it between the Saturn and Mega Drive, you could probably just play a different shooter every like three Yay. days and never run out. Yeah, closer to every day. Hmm. <laughs> There's a because did you? I assume in the Mega Drive ones you did some of the Thunder Force games. Oh, I, yeah, I played all of them. Um, I didn't okay. stream them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just was I, thinking of like if you were yeah. streaming them or not. But yeah, yeah, because uh, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I was gonna do multiple episodes because mm -hmm. I do try to just do something different each stream. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So I, but I could do Genesis Shoot 'em Ups Part Two if I wanted to. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You could something also just save that for like November or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I could save that for any other time too. Hmm. Yeah, it's okay, just it's, it's an easy theme to grab from because yeah. there's a lot of them. And that this uh, is Sega Timber, so there's a lot of Sega games I want to cover. I also did Valkyria Chronicles, the PS4 version. Um, good version. And I did Die Hard Arcade. Hell yeah! And, and that game so fucking good. Yeah, I played the submarine game until I got about I think I had 17 credits, and I just yeah, that'll be enough to pop through the game. Yeah, I just barely beat that final boss with his stupid uh, knife throwing and. Ugh. <laughs> I love how weird the path that game had to the had to uh, went through uh, to reach release was because like it was a the the Die Hard license was obtained in the West and then they sort of made a game around it and they like stripped that license out of the like home Japanese version. Uh, so that's where like the Dynamite Deca version of it comes from, and then they made a sequel to that, <laughs> but that didn't have like that never had the Die Hard license, and so it was released in the U.S. as just Dynamite Cop, yeah. right? And then they put the character in Project Cross Zone. Yeah, it owns. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Bruno Dillinger or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he. Uh, he yeah, and he's a he's an adjunct character you can put in. Yeah, special you can he's have literally like a partner throwing character. everything in the kitchen sink at people. 
That yeah. game, uh, the PS2 port of that game has a bunch of incredible bonus modes. Uh, wow. Some of my favorites, my, my absolute favorite is uh, that at uh, if you play enough of it, you unlock a mode where you're playing as Sagata Sanshiro from the old Sega Saturn ads. <laughs> okay. Because of course, yes. yes. Yeah. And uh, I, for, I think the gimmick of that mode is that he's invincible, but he's on a time limit. And you gain time by, like, uh, picking up power-ups and just hammering through each section. It's, it's, really, it's really fun. There's a mode where everyone is a Golden Axe character. Uh, there's an Altered Beast mode. Like, it just references... There's a mode where you can't defeat enemies unless you arrest them, which is like a very weird mechanic that that game has, where if you're holding a gun and you get an enemy on the ground and you hit an arcane button combination, your character will like kneel on the ground and arrest them. Do that in Die Hard Arcade. Yeah. Uh, if you, only with a pistol, but it, it's actually not that hard. You hit, yeah, you hit either punch or kick, but it's like either they hog tie them or they just put the cuffs on them and then they disappear and drop health. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. And the game's full of like cool touches like that, and uh, probably the most appropriate use of quick time events in a game, because failing them just either hurts you or forces you to do a fight you didn't want to bother with. <laughs> that was the first game. Die Hard Arcade was the first game I played that had quick time events, and I remember playing it in the arcade, and I would just get like. <laughs> I was just mortified anytime I missed it. Like I'm like, people are watching. They watched me fail. <laughs> people saw. Oh, well. People saw. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, uh, that's my that's my favorite 3D like traditional beat 'em up. I fucking love that game. Yeah. So then the uh, only other game I was playing besides that was um I I did start playing Starfield. Yeah, I saw that you had that you'd done a stream of that, but I wasn't able to peek in. It was a kind of a shit show, actually. Because um, rough. A Bethesda game, my... a shit show. I don't think well, it was the Bethesda game that was the problem. No, <laughs> oh, okay. wasn't the game's fault. Basically, I so I installed the PC version. Um, and oh, I am going to tell you though, the Series X version looks fine. It's capped mm -hmm. at 30 FPS, but it's it's fine. Um, mm -hmm. PC looks about the same, but you can get 60 FPS, which is nice. So it turns out my graphics card can totally handle it pretty much maxed out um even though there's no dlss support yet although somebody th actually there is um an unofficial mod that can add dlss but they want like it they oh, want yeah to someone them. made a mod yeah. and then put drm on the mod yes <laughs> what yeah. yeah it's it's some real internet brain lord shit going on uh the the reason that dlss isn't in there is almost assuredly just amd sponsorship right but it does have SS FSR2, which yeah. um, actually doesn't... I noticed it didn't hurt the visuals too much, but it also didn't hurt help my frame rate too much either. So, mm -hmm. it, whatever. Kind of a wash. It, it make mm. Yeah. Um, so, well, basically, that, that mod, the, the free version gets you DLSS 2.0, but you need to pay them to get DLSS 3.0. <laughs> this, this is deranged. <laughs> it's horrible. But, um, so... I was trying to get MSI Afterburner up and running so I could have performance metrics on screen so people could see the performance, and I just see could not get doing. that to work. Mm. And then my my controller kept shutting off, which then I realized I was using um, a USB cable that is probably broken because I had issues with it a while oh. back. 
and it was just the whole thing of you know this and then and then like i didn't get any views anyway so i'm like i'm probably just gonna delete it <laughs> like whatever uh, it didn't go some, very some, well some nights are discouraging right the, the game itself is actually didn't screw up too badly it was uh it was me and other technical issues going on yeah um, i do want to say that the the uh the dlss mod with drm is not the most deranged uh mod i have seen so far oh the the tell. actual most brain broken uh the actual most brain broken mod i have seen is someone made a mod to replace the bethesda title logo with a playstation studios logo why <laughs> i I can only assume that it is just someone who is either shit posting or like that's the that's the happy the happy ending the sad ending and at least some of the people downloading it are the sad ending is people who have like baby bird brain derangement that causes them to think that corporations are their moms <laughs> so <laughs> okay yeah uh so yeah uh the the discourse around that game has not become sane yet. Maybe perhaps in a few months when they find something else to be angry about. Um, so I did play <laughs> some more today without streaming it, and mm -hmm. it's I have mixed feelings about it already because it seems like they copied some of the worst aspects of No Man's Sky. You know? It's, oh no! <laughs> I'm just it's like it's like Fallout Four, but it takes fucking forever to go anywhere. You know, there, there is fast travel, but get this, right? I'm mm -hmm. doing the main quest line. So first, mm -hmm. they send me to this, um, I don't know, th this like laboratory somewhere, and it's it's a nice little tutorial just to teach you how to shoot stuff, and 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 it's a lot of fun actually. And you come out of there, okay, cool. And then it wants me to go. Um, I have to go to New Atlantis, which is like a big major city that you go to and i gotta go talk to this one person okay so i talked to this group of people and then they're like okay well we're looking for this other person and last we heard they were on mars fine mm -hmm. so now i've got this woman who joins me she's like the lydia of the game she's sarcastic yeah and, and she, yeah and you know don't pick up all that junk it's like shut up so <laughs> you you go all the way to mars and you go into a bar, you talk to the bartender and find out the guy you're looking for. Oh, last I heard he was on Venus. Fine. Time to go so, to Venus. <laughs> but I decided to stick around on Mars for a little while, and I'm just walking around, and it's like just huge open spaces with nothing in them. Like a few lead deposits here and there, a few bugs crawl up out of the ground to attack me. And then a group of like religious cultists who are all 10 levels higher than me, and yet I still managed to blow them away with my um, rare shotgun that I found. And But I used all my healing items, but then I stole their ship, and I found out if, if you just take ships, they just get added to your ship inventory. Like, you have a whole fleet of ships, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I'm So I, I decide, okay, well, let's go to Venus. And that's where they decide to give you an outer space stealth tutorial. So I'm sorry. That's what? a weird thing to have happen. You're in your ship, right. and there's okay. three enemy ships that are much higher level than you. And I tried to fight mm -hmm. them, and they just instantly blow you up. And there's this signal coming from a device, and so you have to shut down most of your ship systems and just 
go very slowly towards this thing to interact with it. And if the th if the three bad guys spot you, then they come over and blow you up. And it's like, what the fuck? And, and like, your ship seriously goes so slowly through space. Like, it's like, ugh. So that's where I left off today, just trying to complete this stupid stealth tutorial thing. It's like, <laughs> so it, it, you have to like, you have to allocate power from different ship systems. You know, that's what it is. So you have to, like, shut the engine down to the minimum. You have to turn off your shields, turn off your guns to be able to sneak past these guys. But then sometimes they see you anyways. It's an and then when they see idea, you... idea, but it sounds kind of frustrating in, content, in, like, actual practice. Yeah. So, like, each ship has a certain number of points to allocate into various ship systems. Like, basically weapons, shields, engine. Um... Mm -hmm. And then I gave myself a perk that says it's supposed to make you a better pilot, and it says unlocks thrusters for ships, but, gee, there's no tutorial on what that means or how to do that. They There's tutorials on the most basic shit, but I just unlocked a perk, and I have no idea what it does. <laughs> the joy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's like, so you get XP like you would in Fallout, but you don't have stat points. And so you get perk points the way you would in like Fallout 4 or Skyrim. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a little weird so far. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. So, I don't know. I'll probably try it sometime this month. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's it, one of those things, like, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be on Game Pass forever. And, and I turned Game Pass Ultimate on back on just for a month to try it. And it's like, I'm not spending $70 on this, I, if, especially if I don't have to. So... Mm -hmm. Play all this other stuff. Yep. Uh, which brings so, us to... Hmm? Let's go. Wheels, what have you been playing? Yeah, I was going to say, which brings us to Wheels. Well, I'm playing some Destiny. Okay, I regret asking. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about it now, because they brought back an old raid. Uh, mm -hmm. Crota's End, which, for anyone that's played Destiny 1, was that raid that was kind of jank to the point where uh, in... Uh, people could solo it. So, oh, good. <laughs> not the best designed raid. Well, I, 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 I feel like it. I feel like it had to be probably had to rush it out. So it had some bugs and some other jankiness to it. Later in the final year of Destiny, when they brought back some of the, I don't want to say brought back the old the earlier raids, but added hard mode to the other raids, so you can actually play them at the level people were in the last year of Destiny One. Uh, it was a little better, but um, naturally they redid a lot of things in the raid, as in adding actual mechanics, so it can no longer be soloed or duoed or anything. She requires a full party cooperating together. Uh, hey, Wheels. Yes. Guess what happens in two days? What's that? It's the ninth anniversary of Destiny 1. Ah, uh, yes. Oh. Time keeps on slipping. Yeah. So, um, I've not done the whole raid yet. I only did the boss because I wanted to try and beat it on contest mode. I was not able to because it was much harder than the brand new non-Destiny 1 raid they brought up <laughs> this year. Uh, I guess they decided the nostalgia bait raid was for grognards. 
I guess it was like really, really hard. Uh, I mean, the the difficulty on the other raid this year was just way too low anyway, in general. Fair so enough. This was nice. Uh, did not manage to do it. Um, but, so the reward, the reason I was doing it is because the reward for contest mode was it would auto-finish the quest for the exotic for the raid. So basically you get it without having to do the quest or anything at all. <laughs> so I jumped on after contest mode had ended like I must say like a half hour, an hour after it ended, intending to just pick up the quest and kind of get that started before the weekly reset and whatnot. Apparently, it was bugged for like an hour or two after contest mode ended, so it was still auto-completing the quest, so I got the exotic anyway. Hooray! Yeah. Good times. So what else have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing some Legend of Heroes, trying to make my way towards the end of second story. When I get to, is it called? This is third story, the third. Trails in the sky, the third. The third. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna just set it on the lowest difficulty because at this point, I would, I just want to play that for the story and get on to. Um, the third Trails has a remarkably good story, so. Yeah. So. Try and do that to get through that quicker. Uh, but I am enjoying the thing. I the thing I will say about the third story. Hope you like Kevin. I do. I found him quite, quite uh, funny. He gets the. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun. He has a lot, a lot of development in the third. That's cool. So yeah, making uh, way through that, and in what chapter five? Trying uh, to remember what's going on in that one. Uh, Dragon. I think you were talking about the dragon. dragon okay, yeah. yeah, it's still dragon. Dragon, 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 dragon But yeah, uh, the, the game uh, by chapter five is fully cooking. Uh, a lot going on by that point. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking love Trails in the Sky. Um, so is, uh, I remember you told me there were eight chapters counting, or was it ten chapters? It's ten chapters if you count the, like, unnumbered ones. Okay. So there are eight numbered chapters. So then I still have four to go. <laughs> More than I thought that said. There's a oh, lot well. of game. It is a very long game. Yes. It's fine. All worth it, but very long. <laughs> so it is probably going to take up the entirety of the Summer of Falcom, which is fine. fine. Summer of Trails <laughs> in the Sky second chapter. Yeah. It's like, well, there were some East Nine in there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll Should, uh, maybe I'll blitz through the end of that, the end of Summer Falcon. I'm sure I'm sure Platty will have a have a good laugh uh, comparing how long Trails in the Sky second chapter took between us. Yeah. Uh, it's it's part of it. I just feel like so I was all gung ho about getting to this one because like I don't like playing this in the PSB. I don't like playing mm -hmm. it on the deck either. Huh. I'm ready. For, I'm ready for the Switch. <laughs> well, soon to come. Soon to come. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, I just feel. Got... I just feel like if I'm gonna carry that giant monstrosity, then I want to play like something more graphic intensive. I guess. I don't know. You're weird. Yeah. I'm weird. <laughs> uh, I like the switch for everything. 
Yeah, like pretty much. It's it's my it's definitely my preference, but yeah. like I, I will definitely take playing on deck over busting out a console at this stage. I just yeah. wanna... Oh no, for sure. Like, uh, and still, definitely like it better than the PSP because I don't have to worry about my uh, like my memory card imploding or something. Plus, you also have that speed up, which is very nice. Yeah. But uh, what was I gonna say? But yeah, the, that everything for you, or? Oh god, did I play anything? I feel like I played some other random shit. I've been playing a little bit of, uh, that's right, Nino Kuni. Uh, oh yeah. Just because uh, my three-year-old has enjoyed watching me play that. The One PS2 version. Uh, yeah. Well, on the Switch, but yes, not the DS okay. version. Although I have him okay. getting that set up on a hack 3DS to play. Uh, note that you actually do need reference to the book to play the DS version. Yeah, I've got the book and the PDF. Okay. Big old DRM. Well, I've got the the Japanese book. <laughs> yeah. For and, now. and the English PDF. So yeah. it'll most likely use uh, I mean, I mean, if he's playing the DS copy, then there is no... I mean, you have to have the, the Japanese book to figure out the right things to put in. So... Yeah, they don't have the book built in the game like they do in no. the console version. Well, that and, um, I mean, you'll have to input a lot of the codes in Japanese. So. Uh, well, there's a, yeah, there's a fan translation. translation. Yeah, there's a fan translation. Uh, uh, okay. So I'm sure they've, hmm. I'm sure they've adjusted all that. So, Maybe. okay. Uh, but yeah, that was fun and... I got stuck on fighting the genie that comes out of the, the alchemy oh. pot, and I finally <laughs> beat it. That's my favorite intro sequence for a battle in that game. Yes, uh, my my kid yeah. really loved that whole battle where he like reaches in the pulls pot, pulls out, out a, pulls everything out, pulls out a dress, and then sometimes pulls out an umbrella instead of his sword. Uh, pulls out a fish, and a cat jumps across the screen and grabs the fish and runs off with it. <laughs> Very cute. Okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I finally beat it, and then the game crashed while I was saving. Incredible! Yes. Wow. Uh, so it's like I don't know why that happened. The internal memory on my Switch is a little low, so I'm gonna free up some space before trying this again. And thankfully, I just beat it the first try next time. Yeah. But that sucked. Not ideal. Uh, but yeah, that game is quite good looking and charming and. Not always the funnest to play. I guess would be the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like the PS3 slash uh, Switch game, Wrath of the White Witch, uh, is very much a like throw out the co combat and start again because you failed. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. but... But I mean, it's been fun on that. I we yeah, I, mean, I saw um, Princess Mononoke again in theaters over the summer. That's a, so that's a wonderful a, film. Just been in a Ghibli mood. Um, uh, my looking, favorite, looking favorite forward Ghibli to movie is Howl's Moving Castle. Sorry, hmm. Howl's Moving Castle is a good one. Rewatch that one again. But I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Miyazaki's maybe this time last movie in December. I will believe he, it is his last movie when he is in the ground afterward. Yes. 
because he has, I think this is his third or fourth last movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's 82 at this point, but... Uh, yeah. well, he, he's 82 and Japanese, and I can tell you for a fact that Japanese old guys have a very big issue with actually retiring. Yeah, like, I believe whatever, I don't think like, he knows what he would do if he didn't have something to yeah. work on. <laughs> no, that's, that's fairly normal. It takes yeah. two or three attempts to retire a Japanese old salary man. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. they showed a clip of uh, from some Miyazaki documentary at the end of Princess Mononoke, where he was just like he was looking over like some uh, it was like test animations or something for something, and he just sat there and like tried to redraw it, trying to get like a specific look of the clothes being folded a certain way like two characters were mm -hmm. hugging so he's trying to get us obsessing over like this very specific thing it was, it was he's an obsessive kind of guy yeah yes. but you could see how those movies end up like they do for sure and you've got that kind of obsession and that kind of clout slash money things yeah. happen yep mm -hmm. so looking forward to that last movie i was trying to not watch any trailers or anything but when it popped up on youtube i couldn't resist watching the little one minute teaser and it looks very good so let's see uh i'm trying to think of if i've been playing anything else it's about it other than some pirate pirate warriors 3 <laughs> but what of pirate warriors 4 uh, i'm gonna well, i'm gonna play that <laughs> as well Yes, that is a thing that exists. Yes. <laughs> yes, that one is. I'm aware of good work. <laughs> that one is very good. Like, it's another one of the Muso newer Muso games that is. Uh, it's done some nice things, so I need to play it at some point. Too much, too much Muso. Oh, oh. Speaking of Muso, yes, <laughs> I've been playing some. It's playing some Persona Five Strikers, trying to finish as much as I can before the. Backtrack, which is now up on the site already, if you want to listen to that. Uh, which is that it's still a extremely charming and fun game, and definitely the best <laughs> Muso. Yeah. Uh, so I, I may, I'm probably going to stick with that and just finish it, try and finish that before uh, Tactica comes out as well. Yeah, you got a couple November. months, I think, yeah. to manage it. It's not super long, anyway. So. Looks like. Um... Yeah, so Tactica and then Persona 3 Rebirth are going straight to Game Reload, Pass. Yeah. yeah, they'll both be on Game Pass. I will be picking up Persona 5 Tactica on Switch because that's where I'll actually play it. Yep. Uh, Budai says but... Pirate Warriors 3 is the best one. You mean the best Pirate Warriors or the best Muso? We we'll might be able to agree to the former. Warriors. Probably we'll have words on the latter. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not the best. It's, I mean, it's an extremely good one. I'm not going to argue that. It's definitely well, you're... The, oh, the best Pirate Wars. Okay. Uh, I haven't played enough for to, to to say that. I have played some 1 and 2, so you're probably right. Okay. And I'll try to be quick, quick about what I've been at. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Wow. I played some FF16. I played what is consensus the best part of the game. It was oh, like a six out of ten. Uh, there was the Titan fight. 
for those who have played it, it's it's all it's all sizzle no steak. It's very a lot's happening. A lot of big things are happening. The actual fight is mechanically brain dead. Uh, I can't believe people would say. Look, I haven't done that fight. <laughs> But based on the fights involving giant things in the game so far, I can't imagine how that could possibly be the best part of that game. <laughs> like people seem really up on Titan. Like after I that, like people say, start saying that the game sort of starts going downhill. Uh, it's man, it is it is just a nothing fight in terms of mechanics, and I think that the art direction of the icon, like the icon designs themselves, I think are really shitty. Like, they're some of my least favorite versions of these, like, classic Final Fantasy summons, because yeah. they're, like, sort of trying to... Like, whenever I look at Ifrit, it's like, I can see that you were sort of trying to give him sort of a Godzilla look, and he looks like absolute fucking ass. It's absolutely awful looking. I don't know why they... Like, I, I feel like they needed to go back and try again, because it, the fusion... The attempt to fuse, like, the classic Ifrit Dogman design with, like, the le leathery, lizardy uh like Godzilla look just looks fucking awful and Titan is just like uh, man he's he just he's too craggy there's no longer a dude he's just a, uh, like he's a bunch of dude shaped rocks and then he gets really really big and his absolutely tiny head looks absolutely fucking ridiculous uh <laughs> Uh, how good is FF16's Icon Fights compared to Ashura's Wrath? Both of them are largely non-interactive. The cinematography and cutscene direction is more interesting in Ashura's Wrath, in part because everything's smaller and a lot faster. Um, but it's it's going to be a lot on taste. I think the art direction in uh, Ashura's Wrath is leaps and bounds better than what's going on in FF16, so I find it a lot more interesting. But yeah, so that's I, I played that, and that was kind of miserable. I didn't have a like it, cause, because it was like, yes, this part of the game was okay. It was the most okay of of it. Like I could see kind of why people liked it, but it was also like the understanding of oh, this is it. This is this is peak performance. This is the this is the top of the very small mountain. Uh, so there, there's that, that tinging my uh, impressions. But yeah, continuing forward, and I was, I was ranting on, on Blue Sky that uh, the game pushed me to talk to the lady who stands in front of the map, and every time I have to talk to her, it's three minutes of the game trying to pretend that there's like any sort of depth, depth to the world building, and there's just nothing. Like Her entire spiel at that point was like, oh, the warlike country isn't May, doing war, I bet they're planning a war, but we don't know what it is. I bet, though. I bet. I bet they're I, planning. I saw a war. your tweet on this. I'm like, <laughs> they, at least it's not the settled country, then. Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a game that uh, occasionally revels in in its uh, its blood and violence, and then treats you like you got the attention span of a six year old. It's honestly pretty insulting. Uh, moving on, I played something I actually liked. Yeah. Comics version. Okay. Hmm? Yeah. So it was like treats you like a seven-year-old and keeps changing the stories on you. It's like sounds like a golden age of comic books story. 
Those at least were joyful. This is so grim and self-serious. Um, yeah, it really is. Oh, so it's Golden Age meets the 80s. Yeah, pretty much. Like, the worst aspects of both. Um, but I played something I actually liked. Uh, a, dear, a dear skeletal friend uh, on a whim sent me a Steam code for Bomb Rush Cyberfunk. Oh, that's basically the... uh, much more cool. It's just a radio. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's like a new Jet Set radio. Uh, they got the composer of Jet Set Radio to do a bunch of the tracks along with some other nice. people. Uh, all the music is great. The art direction is uh, very Jet Set Radio. Uh, it's it's great if you just if you want to play something that feels like Jet Set Radio but still has an identity of its own. Uh, then hey, you you've got you've got something. You've got something for the first time in twenty years, except for unless you played. There was a game from like six years back that was also kind of trying to be Jet Set Radio, but I never got around to it called Hover. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Bomb Rush Cyberpunk, uh, it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's got strong art direction, good use of color, very uh, strange looking. Feels, feels good to move around in. Uh, got maybe more of a... Uh, what feels like a, a more heavy platforming uh, bent, but like it kind of fits because it has slightly stronger platforming controls. So uh, o- overall, though, just uh, just having a great time. That's got a great sense of style. You start out, you get busted out of prison, your head gets chopped off and replaced with a robot head. Uh, and now you're trying to find your old head. Um, As you do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like I fully have sussed out basically the core twist that's going to happen uh, by virtue of the fact that the game seems to think that you're the uh, the game seems to like treat it as though you are the person whose body you are, but I mean you're a different head. There's something else going on with that. So got some got some guesses uh, that percolated within the first 30 minutes and that's fine it's it's an interesting enough story it's more character driven than jet set radio which like almost all of the narrative was driven by uh, people interacting with your gang and DJ professor K shouting at you uh, in jet set radio and that's uh this is more your like gang interacting amongst itself and occasionally clashing with other gangs, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It looks great. It run, I've been playing it on deck. Uh, it, it, idea, apparently, it runs perfectly on Switch, but that's not the version I have. So what's going to do? But yeah, both uh, it, it runs great on deck. Certainly, at the very least, uh, don't don't expect it to max max out basically any computer. Uh, they fully committed to like it looks like uh, you know a higher resolution Dreamcast or early Xbox game like Jet Set Radio or Jet Set Radio Future. Mm-hmm. So, new Dreamcast. I will fight you, <laughs> and I will kill you. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, fucking, I fucking love it. Give it a shot. Uh, nice. if, if nothing else, uh, banger soundtrack. Uh, but yeah, it's it's also revamped like the graffiti system. Uh, it's it's a little it's it's a weird place where it's between Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future, uh, because in Jet Set Radio the way that graffiti worked was that you would go up to a tagging spot and then 
there would be a set uh, there would be like a Simon Says minigame where your character would uh, sort of uh, stand there and start spraying and you would twirl the analog stick in certain directions to make certain motions and that would eventually produce a uh, piece of graffiti and that that really slowed the pace of the game down. They did away with that in Jet Set Radio Future. It was just you uh, went past a tagging spot and uh, held the tag button, and it would create a uh, tag as it went through. Uh, this kind of splits the difference. When you go to a tagging spot, the game completely freezes, and uh, there are like points uh, in arranged in sort of pentagonal fashion, and you point the analog stick to various. Uh, parts, uh, various other points, and uh, you the the tag that you make is based on what points you go to in what order. So you kind of get to the point where, like, you can you can do things really fast because there's no there's no failing this mini game. So you're just sort of uh, once once you have like certain preferred tags that you like putting up, you can just like flick the analog stick. Uh, a few different ways and be done in less than a second. Uh, but uh, it's it's more interactive and more personal, customizable than it was in Jet Set Radio Future. So it was, it was an interesting solution. I wasn't when I heard it described. I wasn't sure if I cared for it, but uh, in practice, I, I I'm a fan. But yeah, um, there's, there's some other interesting, like weird things. You can uh, Jet Set Radio. You are always on inline skates. You can uh, switch between on foot, inline uh, skateboard, and bike. Those seem to be mostly ornamental, except for the difference between on foot and on wheels. Uh, because if you're on wheels, like you, you move a little faster. Uh, you can't like attack there's some very minor like beat em up elements but they they don't take up much of the game but you can't attack uh and you will uh but you can grind but you can't like roll up a staircase for example you'll automatically switch off of your wheels for that but yeah for, for the most part it's it's a limited concern but uh there's there's also much more of an emphasis on doing tricks which didn't really like tricks happened in jet set radio they didn't really matter uh, but there's there's now like a trick system that's it's very odd because you can't you can't fuck up a trick it's impossible but uh, like because like even if you try to do a trick and then uh, you don't have enough clearance or space to do it you'll just land on your feet anyway and it'll end your combo. Uh, but like there are competitions where you have to score more points than the opponents, and that forces you to like because of the way that the uh, the way to get the most points is to do is to get multipliers, and the way that the multiplier system works is based on where you uh, it, it's based on certain lines that you can find throughout the level because it's when you do hard turns on uh, rail grinding. It's it's simple. It it mostly just gives you an excuse to be moving around the entire level while doing the tricks and sort of figuring out good lines. So it works. I like it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's just a, it's just a fun game. Uh, it, it's nice to play something that is chill and fun and colorful. 
<laughs> so, yeah. Uh, re- recommended. Recommended. Especially if you happen to be a Jet Set Radio fan as I am. I'm going to give it a try. Uh, Sounds fun. Yeah, it's good. I recommend it. Um, oh, God. Hand, hand oh, no. loss. oh yeah, that was that was always in there. I think that they might have made it less obvious that that happened in the anime. <laughs> but, oh, man, I forgot how many characters die in this one fight sequence. Uh, Yamcha, Chaozu, and Tian all die during this conversation. Yes. <laughs> That's how they all end up training in the spirit world for the entirety of the next plot arc. Yeah, that's that's probably for the best. The, the real tragedy is Chaozu dis- destroying himself and it doing literally nothing. <laughs> yep. Died in vain. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, at least when Goku died, they actually killed someone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's generally like uh, you get the the agony of like, well, that that didn't do anything. That was pointless. <laughs> it shouldn't have had to happen. Yep. But, yep. Just, remind, just reminding me of Final Fantasy Legend Two. Whenever you use a uh, explosion attack and against something that can't be killed that way, and it just says such and such died in vain. Dot dot dot. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got a couple of questions. I might have put a couple in the put a couple in the Discord channel. Hit this one because I think it's referencing yeah. Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, I already hit that oh, earlier okay. when I was talking about Final 16. Uh, there was one that was seemingly for just us in general. What happened to Yokai Watch? The kids grew out of it. Um, yeah. And the, the and attempt to reboot able... it for another generation didn't really work. Yeah. That was what I was about to put in. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they just couldn't boost it back up with a new look. Yeah, like, there's there's all, like the, the most dangerous time for that kind of franchise is, like, right when that first generation of kids was getting out of it, because there's not, there's not, like, the anyone old enough to be like, I need to share this with my kids, I'll get it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to instill that, like, brand loyalty into them. So, you end up with, like, if you can't snare a second generation of kids, there might not be enough time to keep the franchise going until the, uh, until you can get that self-sustaining thing. There are still Yokai Watch, like, smartphone games now. Mm-hmm. What the, but... what is that too? It's that was really loud. What? Sorry, what did I walk into? Yokai, Yo-Kai Watch. A, a discussion of why Yokai Watch failed to stick the landing and and secure a second generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I'm 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 uh, talking to you from my new car. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, yeah. It's, I mean, we we should remember that Pokemon is the outlier. <laughs> yeah, and Pokemon itself, uh, there's there's a fair drop off in terms of uh, sales from Gen One to Gen Two, and from Gen Two to Gen Three, and then things level off and start rising back up again. It's just that Pokemon was so all consumingly popular that like 
Pokemon doing badly. Pokemon doing badly is like the kind of success few games can dream of. Uh, yeah. It also helped. Uh, oddly enough, it also helped that Pokemon did not have a centralized plot line. Yeah, there's no there, there's like the the fact that people can still have debates about when and how these games relate to each other uh, gives them a lot of leeway to just sort of like these uh, the new kids the new kids the Pokemon is for them and it doesn't really super matter if it <laughs> connects in any fashion. I mean, also that, but also the anime where mm. I mean, even Yokai Watch had a centralized plot that the anime was following season by season, like similar. Yeah. Not exactly like Digimon, but similar. Whereas Pokemon, it just sort of keeps going. And it's structured a lot more like a slightly more adventuresome version of some of the classical Japanese sitcom shows that have yeah. no real end point. Yeah, you can sort of feel that with like the one based on Sun and Moon that just decided to go full comedy. Uh yeah. I mean, yeah. even a lot of the early, even a lot of the earlier episodes were pretty comedic as well. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say Sun and Moon was more like them attempting to actually fit it to a centralized plot for once. Yeah, um, but in like a really weird way. Yeah. So, um, I mean, but part of that was probably just to match it up to the fact that Sun and Moon, the game, had a much stronger central plot than most. So. Uh... I think. If I if I may, I think part of also what uh, helped Pokemon's success was just the cuteness of the uh, monsters. I mean, that never stopped. Like, that's not a problem that Yokai Watch has. The monsters are cute. Yeah. Well, some of them are. Some aren't. Yeah, well, some I mean, of Pokemon aren't either. Pokemon either. Like, True. <laughs> I don't. I don't think gr- anyone was looking at it like, ah, oh, Grimer. I love you. <laughs> hey. Oh, uh, Hey, I, I'm a big fan of Mock. Yes. But uh And yeah. part, of, part, of, part of the issue with some of the other ones like Robopon or uh oh, what was the SMT one? Devil Children Demi Kids. Yeah, Devil Devil Children Demi Kids. I, I those ones just didn't get the same appeal either. Yeah, like Yokai Watch's problem was never the creature designs, it was just like it just didn't manage to stick with a second generation of kids. Yeah, I don't think the anime Actually, was very good most of the time either. I mean, yeah. the Pokemon anime kind of wasn't either. I mean, like I, was, like I was saying, the Pokemon anime has this sort of interminability to it that... You can just throw on an episode of the Pokemon anime and it's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and since a lot, of, a lot of the Pokemon anime is very, very more touchstone-centered, like... They don't um, like again. They're not following a central plot. They're following okay. This Japanese cultural touchstone and this one and this one. So you can actually here's say, what this looks like in the Pokemon world. <laughs> yeah, and it has like oh, we have this holiday and this holiday and this holiday. It's like Pokemon Princess episode. That's the Hina festival. <laughs> and so they'll. I want to know, know if they ever covered the Belly Button festival. No, I. Yeah. That is a thing, though. Yeah. But... I've, I spent the last two weeks watching uh, Dropkick on my devil. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, yeah, let's but, be going, yes. But yeah, yeah it, it's one of those things that, like, it, this is this would be, it, 
for for the most part, this is just a normal thing that happens with these kinds of franchises. It's just mm-hmm. that because Yokai Watch was an outlier for success, there was like some notion that it might not happen to that, and it just just didn't happen that way. How popular uh, is I would... Digimon, by the way? Never uh... seems to have gone away, but I, I don't can you tell how popular it is. It definitely it, has a fandom. It's one that they can successfully reboot, but they can't do it su- sequentially. You have to wait yeah. several years and then try again. Yeah, the way I would describe Digimon is that it has a lot of different Digimon products have fandoms, but there's very few people who are just fans of Digimon. Interesting. Yeah. Because like, whereas Yokai get... Watch was attempting to do it consecutively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, like I suspect. I suspect sometime in the next 10 years we will see like a revival of Yokai Watch that does do numbers. But it's uh it's going to need some fundamental rethinking. Yeah. Uh but yeah, like for, for the Digimon thing, like you'll have like fans that are fans of uh X Y or Z seasons of the anime because those are all f- relatively self-contained. Or you'll have people that are fans of like the original digital pet toys that are technically like a Tamagotchi spinoff. Like mm-hmm. you, you look at original Digimon and it's very specifically, what if we made Tamagotchi but very specifically targeted at boys? That's um, mm-hmm. or... why so many of them were pick up in some that? of their higher evolutions. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's also just like the the stages are just Tamagotchi stages. Like they just made Tamagotchi where instead of when you connect them, instead of uh, being friends, they kill each other. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, as, as far as uh, but yeah, you'll you'll find fans of like a lot of specific Digimon products, but it's 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 not really cohesive enough to have to be uh the, the way that you can just be fans of be a fan of pokemon and like most everything is in kind of the same sort of general tone style mood uh and unified sets of mechanics uh you're getting your ass beat wheels um mm-hmm. but uh let's see uh, why do people just keep copying God of War and Revengeance without understanding why those games are great? I would argue that God of War isn't great, but that's a different discussion. Uh, <laughs> popular, popular. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's also, like, there is a cohesiveness of design, even if it's bad. Um, in, in general, like, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, like... People want to fold in elements of successful products and uh, without like completely shaking up what they've already what what they've already been making, and you get something that eventually doesn't have uh, a lot of that, that no longer really fits together anymore. It just has like elements of things that used to work that don't that no longer gel because there's too many com- too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean. I don't think on war. It's it's basically a male power. 
Um, yeah, but it's it's also just that there's like a lot of I mean to to some greater or lesser extent that's most games uh, that are in the AAA mainstream, uh, but. Like with with God of War, there's like a very specific. Uh, there there is a holisticness of design about like like brutality of action and simplicity of execution that uh, that very much invokes like and in, like basically those mechanics don't work without a specific style to carry them. And so you run into some, uh, like a lot of games that, you know, someone looks at that and is like, this is unpleasantly, like, reveling in violence. We'll maybe do less of that. And it's like, you got to replace that with a, with something because by itself, these mechanics just aren't much. Um, but yeah. And, and when you get into, like, Revengeance, like, that's... Revengeance is like kind of the simplest in terms of like what you can actually do. It's among the simplest uh, of those character action games because you have one button, the light attack button, that does infinite combos. Like Dude. if you keep pressing that button, you will just keep doing attacks. Uh, and then you have a heavy button that you kind of combine it with when you just want to cash out and do a bunch of damage. Uh, and there's dodging, but dodging is very much a secondary thing. If you just want to defend yourself, you keep pressing that light attack button, but you press in the direction of the thing attacking you. And if you get the timing right, then you get to counterattack and go on the offensive. Uh, you have other weapons than your sword, but most of them are like... They're, they're useful, but they're not super key to how combat works. So you really only have the one weapon you're typically worried about in Revengeance. So it kind of reduces that gameplay down to core elements of just timing and uh, minor elements of precision when the game forces you to go into, like, uh, into, like, blade mode and Zondots to the enemy. But it's it's a very simple rhythm, and that makes it very tempting to try to incorporate it into other action games. And the issue is that it's like when you make a simple recipe when you're cooking, where, like, yeah, it's simple, and it looks like it should be easy, but if you fuck up any of those handful of ingredients, you've ruined the entire dish. <laughs> <laughs> And like yeah, sure. Revengeance, you run into that issue of you incorporate elements of Revengeance. There's not a lot of Revengeance to incorporate, so if you fuck up that, then you've kind of like the the combats the, the you've spoiled the broth. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a county sheriff pull over someone right now, so mm -hmm. um, better better stay but, quiet then. But. Uh, what was I gonna say, but yeah, like it, it's it's a very tempting game to model after, but it's it's dangerous. <laughs> you're you're playing with fire, uh, and the the other thing you run into with Revengeance is, uh, you got to bring your like Revengeance brings its A game in terms of boss and encounter design, 
uh, and very, very few uh, companies can match Peak Platinum in terms of Boston Encounter design. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, let's hit some quick ones. My new, yeah. my new phone act, or my new car, I have a new car, so I can actually put it to my phone, so I'm actually talking from the car itself. Okay, well, I'm having trouble actually hearing you. Ow. Yeah, you're kind of distorting. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. That may be no something worries. I'll have to work on. Uh, yeah. Firemeyer's during a question, he says, isn't it weird that Bleach hasn't had a good non-fighting game? Well, Naruto, One Piece, Dragon Ball, Fist, North Star, etc. I'll have something. What are the chances of a good Bleach game coming out in the near future now that they have thousand-year blood war? I mean, if they throw it to CyberConnect, you're all set. <laughs> hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of the non-fighting game Bleaches. There's the... The, the SR- DIA, SRPG. Yeah, the... Yeah, the strategy RPG, there is a pseudo sort of Musou game on the PS3 that's not very good. Uh, that one's not actually made by Tecmo Koei. It was a Musou style game by Rock Jean. Uh, that was. But. Notification. Yeah, I'm following Slaymaster96. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, but yeah. I'll tell you I, something. I have an idea. Oh, and no. This is an idea I had a long time ago. Oh, no. When I. First played Blaze Blue, I thought I want Arc System Works to make a bleach fighting game. There's already a bleach fighting game though. That's there are no, many bleach fighting I want, games. I want an Arc System Works bla- uh, bleach fighting game in the style I'm of gonna... Blaze Blue and Guilty Gear and Persona 4 Arena. And my idea was and like kind of you would like already. if it makes it to the third round, then they both unleash their like Bankai or whatever they go in their super forms. Yeah, I don't know. Those were that was my idea. I will say that the two DS treasure bleach fighting games are actually quite good. They are. Uh, also, one of them is hilarious because it's now unsearchable because it's called Bleach Dark Souls. <laughs> uh, it came out before <laughs> Dark Souls. Wow, they, awesome. they seemingly named it that just because it was bleach. It was a bleach DS game, so it was Bleach Dark Souls. Uh, oh no! But, Does everything not have the DS? Yep. But those are actually quite good fighting games uh, with bafflingly complex single-player modes as well. Uh, those are those are the shining stars of bleach games, as far as I was concerned. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's just like a right place at the right time uh, situation. Because like, One Piece had a lot of time to eventually... De- like, for one thing, One Piece didn't get dragged into like the fighting game morass that most of these do. Like, there, I think there are One Piece fighting games, but it didn't become yeah, like are. the only kind of thing that One Piece games could be, the way that a lot of these shonen fighting games yeah. end up be- fighting shows end up being. I mean, the thing is, a lot of the, the fighting shonen series, it was very much more about the fighting. Mm-hmm. Whereas One Piece is very much a slapstick comedy as well. It's slapstick and, comedy. It, it's it's the stronger mix of slapstick comedy and adventure that makes it feel less appropriate to just do a fighting game. So you get a lot it, more. It, it opens the possibilities to things beyond fighting games much better. 
Yeah. Whereas you... when I think Bleach, I mean, I have not actually read a lot of Bleach, but my image is mainly... It's all it's fighting. Much, it's basically all yeah, fighting. Darkly colored, <laughs> samurai stylized, um, very, I mean, bizarro, serious fighting series. Yeah, that's, it's, that's it's just the image I have. It's Whereas very much there's, bright colors in cartoons. Yeah, there's there's not a lot in Bleach that isn't fighting or talking between fights. So it's it's harder to yeah. make something that isn't a fighting game. I think that there's there's room to do it, but you'd need to be more like the time to do it would have been like 2006. Uh, yeah, like that's that's the other thing is that like One Piece. The other thing is that its world-beating popularity and the sheer like l amount of time that it's been absurdly popular uh, are both huge factors in the fact that it has a ton of things that aren't. Uh, that aren't fighting games where you can get things that are weirder and have kind of a broader appeal with with naruto there's there are dozens of naruto fighting games there are so many uh and like that's that's not a knock some of them are quite good especially like cyber connect knows how to make a weird arena fighter but uh you know the the things that aren't fighting games you run into like kind of like there's there's a handful of very generic RPGs on like the GBA and DS. Uh, there is uh, Ubisoft made a couple of Naruto uh, weird hybrid platformer fighting games. I would I would say they're more platformer than fighting game, but like when you get into a fight, it turns into like a weird fighting game. Uh, but you know the like the the. The answer ends up being that, like, a company got hold of the license who had to put in enough work to get it that it couldn't be a cash grab. Uh, and, like, those Naruto fighting games... Not Naruto fighting games. Those Naruto platformer fighter hybrids from Ubisoft are made by, like, Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, yeah. Uh, back in, like, 2007 or 8, they're both 360 games, but... Uh, just extremely strange. I I have no idea how, how that license ended up where it did, but like th those are kind of the standout ones. But uh, Bleach just sort of like it was really popular for about three or four years, uh, which uh, wasn't really long enough uh, to sort of get people to start like looking at like, well, what else can we do with this license? Uh, like the the manga and kind of abruptly because like it was seemingly sort of backsliding uh in terms of popularity it was and Taikubo was kind of done uh I, I could see maybe someone tries doing something with thousand year blood war getting uh getting an adaptation i'm not convinced though just because it's like you do you put all that effort in and it's like well there's it's like there's not more bleach product to advertise there's not more bleach product to adapt yeah there's there is actually more bleach product coming out i mean kind of yeah cuz i didn't he didn't the uh, author actually finally like get over some of the hangups or is he working with a new company i do know there's like new anime that he is involved with that's coming out yeah that's thousand year blood war Mm. Okay. 
Like, that's I don't keep an, up with an adaptation of the unadapted arc. Because you're Bleach. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an adaptation of the unadapted final arc because the anime got taken off the air before they actually finished adapting the manga. Uh, and like uh, so Fireman points out, with him having some weird hangups with the anime studio he was working with at the time. I, I I think it was just that it was kind of slipping in ratings, but. Uh, I the, I actually uh, heard that he had a falling he actually had a falling out with the anime studio. I mean, he probably did, but that that probably wouldn't be enough to take it off the air by itself. Uh, but uh, as Fireman brings up, Bleach was huge when New Thousand Year Blood War came out. You had Bleach fans coming out of the woodwork, and it's like, yeah, it was it was very big, but it didn't have. Is it enough? Well, it was—it's oh. not even—is it enough? So much as like, like it—it's evident that like hardcore Bleach fans sort of fell out of it after a while, and mm. <laughs> it seems to be our theme for discussion tonight. They fell out of it after a while, and now it's been ten, fifteen years, and the people that grew up with it are like, "Oh man, Bleach! I remember that. I loved that when I was a kid." Mm-hmm. And so, Thousand Year Blood War comes out, and it's like, hell yeah, I'll watch fucking Bleach again. <laughs> but, I know a few of those people. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, yep. but, yeah. There's, let's see, there's one other... Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, there's one other from Budai. Uh, asking, what do you think of the Zelda timeline? Is it fans just trying oh, to do hard or legit? Um, both. Yeah. yeah, like, I think that internal to Nintendo, there was always, like, at the very least, a dim idea of how the games related to each other. I think that they have never, at any point, allowed a commitment to, like, trying to fill out the timeline determine what game they were going to make and i think that if they determined that any two games uh if they could like slot a game in in such a way that the timeline would shift would have to shift and certain games would get moved around in it uh if they if if that was the choice they made they were not beholden to whatever they had done before because who gives a shit um, yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's kind of the feeling of the games in general because they always take place like nowhere near each other, except for uh, the original Zelda and Link to the, and uh, the Adventure of Link. Those are like the only two that have some semblance of time slot, like where they are dependent on each other. All the other ones are like you know. There are other ones. That, are, that is not true. The, okay. I'm sorry, I forgot that Link to the Past uh, technically was supposed to lead into Link's Awakening. That's not... Uh, there's more. Uh, yeah, there's Wind, way more. Wind Waker very specifically heavily references uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, it's very. that's the one that really cements the idea that there is more than one Zelda timeline by virtue of... Uh, it references the idea of, like, the hero came and then just mysteriously disappeared. Yeah. And then war happens, and so that, like, cements the idea of, like, oh, there's a timeline where Link just fucking disappears, and that does not fully comport with the, uh, with some of the other, like, uh, with, with, like, Majora's Mask or some of the other games, so that, 
Like, like that but, was... but in in some of those, but still in Wind Waker's case, it still takes place many years apart from another. That's what I was getting at. There's not many that are directly sequel to each other, except for, um, as I said, Majora's Mask. So Majora's Mask. Links to the time. past, Link Between Worlds, the Oracle DS, games, there's... DS games. Yeah, there's oh, some. Uh, first Link to the DS, past sorry, is the also DS game. Yeah, the, the second one is like a couple generations away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wasn't uh, Link's Awakening supposed to directly follow Link to the Past? Yeah. At the time, but by the time the Oracle games came out, when you the ending to the Oracle games is the start of Link's Awakening. Like, if you do the password share between them, it ends with Link going off on a raft. Uh, but the but in any case, uh, anyways, the. Zelda's Zelda timeline is weird and wonky. Anything the, the, dealing with time is weird and wonky. Let's leave it at that. It's, Zelda's it's timeline not, is not really meant to be known. It is just meant to keep people busy and involved. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know that I agree with that. The way I would describe it is that as far as they're concerned, the things that matter are the one... like The only thing that's specifically relevant to any given game is whatever other games that game is referencing. And some of them will reference a lot of games. And some of them will reference almost zero games. And the timeline that exists is just, okay, how can we slot these together if we must include references to all of them? But in general, like, it, it doesn't matter. They'll get shifted around because the only ones that are relevant to e The only ones whose timeline is relevant are the ones that are actually referencing each other. Uh, it looks like we lost them. Rip. Okay. He drove into He'll be a back. tunnel. Rip. He'll be back. Um, let's see. I was just doing uh, some quick research on that game, Jump Force. I never played it, but it was delisted and shut down. Oh yeah, that thing was fucking hideous. Yeah. <laughs> Those characters were not meant to be rendered like that. No. Its best, uh, its best moment element is that it had uh, the protagonist of City Hunter. Uh, fighting a bunch of characters who were absolutely, uh, who, who, like, fight with, like, magic and ninja shit and all that other shit. And the protagonist of City Hunter's power is that he owns a gun. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, you had Ryo Saiba, uh, fighting, like, Naruto or Luffy, and his ultimate super move is walks up to you and shoots you in the face. <laughs> Nice. Uh, like an, an old parody of Harry Potter I once read was, was oh like Theo shotgun <laughs> dang wizard people dear reader sure. uh, yeah. oh and uh, just as, on a side note the Mega Drive shoot 'em up title I could not remember before is Battlemania Daijinjo Daijinjo oh. Daijinjo okay no, no soft yeah, G's in Japanese. If it's a J, it's a J. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Budai brought back a question that we... Oh, Tam's back. That... Hey, Tam. Yep. Uh, I thought, I thought the... this was the Summer of Falcom. What's this Summer of Square? I don't you, know. you didn't know? The summer, Square's Summer of Adventure. No, I, I didn't know. What, what is that? So, in 2000, when they were localizing a bunch of games, they had the 
uh, Summer of Adventure, which was their sort of way of like advertising games that didn't have the kind of name recognition that Final Fantasy did. So it was uh, Threads of Fate, aka Dew Prism. It was Legend of Mana, and it was Chrono Cross. Uh, we're all sort of branded together as the Summer of Adventure. If you sent in like proof that you had bought all three, you would get like a bag. Uh, just, a, just a silly little thing, uh, but like they all came out during the summer of 2000, so it was Square's Summer of Adventure. Uh, what was the best among these? Uh, like, I would say Legend of Mana is the most interesting of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, have, I have a very strong soft spot for Threads of Fate, but I don't know that I could argue that it really holds up. Uh, it's it's got some real janky platforming, but it's it's a cute mm-hmm. game, and Chrono Cross exists. Um, Chrono Cross is the best of us. No, it's not. I'm sorry. No, it's not. Uh, I've never played Chrono Cross. Is it does it actually have any relation to Chrono Trigger? Or no? Unfortunately, yes. yes. That's the worst part of the game. Is its relation. To Chrono <laughs> yeah, you will you will extract no joy from finding yes. connections to Chrono Trigger. Yes. You should just. Oh, okay. You are better off just thinking of it as an unrelated game. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I still like the first time I played it was before I played Chrono Trigger, and I still don't think much of it. Uh, but you know, I could see someone who's not me liking it. I guess maybe it's it's ambitious, if nothing else, in very much the wrong directions. But it is ambitious. Uh, and Budai asks the. Uh, follow-up stinger question, how many were better than Legend of Dragoon that came out at the same time? Every single one of them. I like Legend of Dragoon. I'd in probably all... play Legend of Dragoon over Chrono Cross. I think it's funnier. <laughs> Legend of Dragoon has a certain camp quality to it. No. Yeah. Le- Legend of it's... Dragoon is a perfectly mediocre game. No. Exactly, yes. <laughs> it's bad. No, it's no, it's, no, it's no. just kind of just mad. I, I, I would call it bad, I, but played, funny. I've played <laughs> games that were bad to the point of unplayable. Dragon, I mean, um, but Legend of Dragoon was at least playable, and you could follow what was happening. Legend of Dragoon does have the incredibly weird part late in, the, like, so, something that I'll never be able to fully convince some people I've told the game about happens, where you have to, like, go like late in the game you have to you go to this town that's ruled by laws and you have to like fucking sit around and get a law passed to make it legal for you to walk around town and yeah yep. <laughs> for some reason the way that that's done involves firing that law out of a cannon yep <laughs> the law launcher i don't know what happened there but like that that's that's the reason that i have fondness for Legend dragoon is that it gets it's really like, fucking weird it is weird it's a <laughs> randomly 90s anime game. fantasy it's just a uh, mediocre it has, game. It's not a bad mm, game. It's not a good game. The consensus has, on RPG Backtrack is that it was mediocre. It has an extraordinarily like tokusatsu-infused sensibility that has a certain degree of appeal if you're into sort of Power Rangers-y thing, like the way that the dragoons are all color-coded and have their like transformation sequences is very, very uh, tokusatsu. Um... Overall, like it's it's playable and it has like a certain. the The thing that I would say gives Legend of Dragoon value in this day and age is like a perfect case study of 
the sort of high-budget, mediocre RPG that was produced in the wake of Final Fantasy VII breaking the genre's popularity wide open. But, uh, and it's on PlayStation Plus Premium if you want to pay extra money to play old PS1 games. <laughs> Listen, if they were Sorry, better pass. PS1 games that were presented better, I would maybe say yes, but they're badly presented, badly emulated, and that is now like $150 a year. What the fuck? No, wait, yeah. it's like a hundred... God, what was the exact number? They bumped up the price. It's 165 like... I think, or something oh like that. Yeah. Uh, 135 no, that's oh. PS Plus Extra, not Premium. Oh, oh. Wait, which no, one I'm, I'm locked into Premium until January, because I bought a year when it was on sale for $80 for the year, and it's like, oh, I don't want this anymore, but I already paid for it. Yeah, I already fully, like, I, I just turned off, like, auto-renew. I don't want to pay $80 for that service. Yeah. So, it, I wanna... it has come in handy for my kids, so it will be something I still pay for. Yeah, what is I, I I love that I looked at Sony's official site and it sure doesn't want to tell me what these plans cost. An arm and a leg. Yeah. They would they would very much rather that you not pay attention pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. hundred and sixty dollars a year. For premium, so Oh boy, absolutely not. Um uh, Meanwhile you'll be able to get Game Pass Core for $60 a year with all the benefits of gold plus a small number of Game Pass titles. And gee, you can still get Switch Online with Expansion Pack for $50 a year, worth every penny. Yeah, there's actually a lot of games that you'd want to play. Also, some really weird shit came out this yeah. week. Like, this was a, this was a Switch Online... I, I need to sidetrack just to say, this was a Switch Online update that was just for me because it's the weirdest shit imaginable. Like, when I saw it, I thought someone was shitposting. Okay. Uh, because what did, what the Switch any of it was? <laughs> the Switch Online update this week was Joy Mecha Fight, which is an, a Famicom fighting game from HAL Laboratory that actually kind of owns... Uh, there was wow. Kirby. There was Kirby's Avalanche, the no, Super Nintendo uh, version that did no, not no. come out in America. Sticker Starland or something. Uh, Kirby Avalanche. Not no. Uh, Kirby Star Stacker. That's what it was. Star Stacker. Yes, yes. Uh, Which did not come out in the U.S. Right. We got Avalanche. Yeah, the, the, we got like the Game Boy version, but not the Super Nintendo version. So we get uh, for the first time we get that version. Uh, I, I'm saving. I'm saving the last of these. Uh, because it's insane. Uh, so I'm trying to find what the le the less insane. Like it was another import thing because this, this was the other thing that was weird about this was that it was mostly just bringing import titles that hadn't been released in the U.S. to the U.S. Because like there is no corresponding Japanese update. This was just for the like U.S. and Europe. Get now, is a the bunch real of... question is are they actually translating them or are they untranslated? No, there's no need. To, like they they selected games that have no need to be translated. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, that was a great move. Yeah, let me see. Uh, what was this? Okay. What's the most recent among these? Um, there's, there's one thing that was added to, like, uh, Game Boy, where it's just like, what the hell happened? Why are you here? Uh, okay. Okay, there we go. Uh, downtown Naketsu March, super awesome field day for NES, which is, 
a sort of mix of uh, River City Ransom, Downtown Niketsu Monogatari, and uh, like the Kunio Sports Games. Uh, so that's that's a neat little game. That's that's definitely worth uh, playing. That I believe had a uh, English release on the like Kunio Kun collection from a few years back. But like that's you know, unless you're a Kunio super fan, there's a decent chance that you didn't pick that up. This is uh, a good way to play it. It's an interesting game. And the weirdest thing that got added, the Game Boy Color game Quest for Camelot. <laughs> okay. Based on, the, based on the film of the same name from the late 90s. Yep, yep. Uh, beloved by no one, published by Titus, but allegedly partially co at least co-developed by Nintendo. Uh, someone would have had to actually like work out rights to re-release this. I have no idea why they did it. Uh, it's a Zelda knockoff. Um, by all accounts, okay. it's okay, but it sure was like when I saw that, I thought that someone was fucking with me. Like I, when I saw Quest for Camelot <laughs> on Game Boy Color, as like, yep, that's getting officially re-released in 2023. It's like, okay, what's actually being re-released? And then I saw the trailer, and no, no, they did re-release Quest for Camelot on the Switch in 2023. Well, um, if I mean, if they at least partially produced it i'm sure they have some partial rights to it so it probably just had to get just someone to sign off on it and honestly yeah, with I mean, for camelot like, they they're probably I, just like yeah whatever go do it <laughs> i mean yeah they definitely own some part of it but it's also just a case of like you had to contact a movie studio and to ask them hey can we re-release a game based off of a movie you haven't you wrote off as a lost 20 years ago <laughs> like someone had to get in contact with someone and it was the most absurd phone conversation either of them had that month <laughs> and also uh, kind of awesome yeah like it's it's i one of the things i love about switch online because it's a subscription service and because it's just uh b because you're paying for the aggregate rather than the individual games, there's more incentive to put on games that you wouldn't buy by themselves. <laughs> and that means like a lot of games that would otherwise never be made available again because no human being in their right mind is ever going to buy uh, Quest for Camelot on Game Boy Color by itself if they re-released it. Or Operation Logic Bomb, or any of the other like weird-ass things <laughs> that have shown up on here. But if you if it's part of a if it's just a value add of more games to be added to a subscription, you can put in things that people wouldn't buy by themselves. And I, I think there's virtue to that. I like that. So <laughs> it's just very funny to see. Um, uh, you love it. You crave it. Uh, okay. So Budai's asked a couple questions in the Discord chat. Not saying they should, but why don't more Western RPGs embrace games that are easier to win, but not more simplistic? People who primarily play PC games expect more complex games. I think that used to maybe be the case. I don't think it's been the case in many years. Uh, but what I would say is that you kind of have seen them uh, uh, you, you've you, you've seen the issue that kind of comes up in uh, further in this. Uh, uh, you 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 bring up 
in a later question, what is the difference between easy and complexity and can they merge? And you can make something that's easy to play but complex. That's often how a lot of like really beloved puzzle games function. Uh, but it's it's hard. It it can be hard. It can it, like it's it's easy to say, oh, it should be uh, easy to learn but difficult to master. And then like you actually try to make something that uh, has a lot of complexity, a lot of depth, or I should say that has a lot of depth but doesn't have overly complex mechanics. And it's it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's reminding uh, me of any time you watch it like a television drama and they have to come up with some sort of fictional video game as part of the plot and you realize yeah it takes a lot more to make a video game actually look good even for the brief seconds that you're seeing it in the tv show yeah like, i love yeah. the i love the entire genre of games that look like fake games that would have shown up on tv shows in 1999 <laughs> i think my, my favorite is, my favorite is still the game that somebody actually made to actually let you play all of the games that are shown on the YouTube ads that don't match the games that they're advertising for. Oh, yeah, that one. My my personal favorite in terms of games that look like fake games that were not made, ironically, is still Virtual Hydlide for the Sega Saturn. <laughs> which uh, is exactly what you should expect when you make an action RPG in the engine for a golf game. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That sounds uh, amazing. Oh. Yeah, if you've ne if you've and, never and, 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 and now I'm okay. thinking of the actual Nintendo executive quote about Mario Garf Golf's about how yeah everyone was making a really awful golf game and we thought you know what we should have our own turn of making a really awful golf game. <laughs> and then they the, hired Camelot the, Software Planning. <laughs> I thought they I, I I thought they that was just like someone uh, shit posting and not and wasn't actually like real. I have no idea if it was real or not, but it certainly sounded like it could be. <laughs> It was fun. Print the legend. Yeah. Uh, but what was I gonna say something about it? Uh, but yeah, the the the, the time honored tradition of making games that look fake. Uh, virtual highlight still number one with a bullet. Um, if you've if you've never looked at what virtual highlight looks like, I, I urge you to go look it up on YouTube and marvel as it runs at like eight frames a second. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, you you'll get to see a lot of uh, digitized sprites of a doughy-looking dude uh, running in the most absurd manner possible and getting his ass kicked by slimes and trees. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I do I do think that uh, per pertaining to Budai's point. Uh, for for a long time, uh, part part of the PC mentality, uh, in terms of design, came from the fact that early on, uh, action games were not good <laughs> on PC, uh, and games of greater length and complexity represented technical challenges on consoles. So. Those two system, those, those two like concepts, kind of ended up uh, defining the kinds of games you got on them. 
since you couldn't really make uh, in the late 80s, it was it's very hard to make PC games with like scrolling or fast action. You ended up with a lot of games that needed to be uh, RPGs by essentially by default. Like they needed to be RPGs or adventure games, things that did not move fast. Uh, things where you could fit a frame around it that didn't have to change as much. Yeah, like anything to just have less screen redrawing, anything to... And so you had a lot of incentives to make games that were... Uh, that were slow. And one of, the, one of the ways you can make something slower is just by making it more complicated. Uh, yeah. There was a design incentive to make games complicated. Um, and eventually that became like an identifying notion of how PC games worked, even when it became possible to have them function in ways that uh, allowed them to uh, to be more action-oriented and to not have to lean so heavily on like needing to be slow and methodical. You ended up with game like an audience that had self-selected for it. They wanted the like complicated and methodical games, and so uh, the murky distinction between complexity and uh, complication, depth and complication, to, to make that a little less uh, similar sounding. But the murky distinction between depth and complication uh, ends up producing, uh, you know, things that uh, involve, like, uh, Exacting tabletop, uh, exacting tabletop simulations and uh, weird old like uh, management games, RTSs, the sorts of things where there's a lot of complicated things going on in a frame that doesn't have to move that much. Um, and eventually, like you, you run into the people where, like, when you start simplifying those games, your your hardest core most vocal fan base becomes very miffed at the notion that their games are being dumbed down even if like they're mostly just simplifying things that didn't actually increase depth they just made things complicated uh like you you end up with people people see those identifying marks and if they're gone they get upset i and so, bad. yeah, so you end up with people just sort of, well, we got to keep doing this. And eventually that sort of goes away just because consoles that don't, console market that doesn't expect that becomes too lucrative to ignore. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's an additional question. Hmm? I was just going to say, I got to head out now. So. Okay. Oh, Rest well. Thank you for jumping in, Joe. Well, we'll yeah, throw in another. Rad. We'll throw on another plug before uh, before we close shop. Yes, sir. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. Night, Joe. No worries. Night, Joe. Good night. Rest well. See you. But uh, but I ask the additional question: Does a company like FromSoft that has a reputation for being difficult have a hard time not making a game that way? I think you end up running into. Uh, a, a few issues. One, one of them is that there are definitely like marketing concerns of 
people will expect the games to be tough. Like, that's that's just how it is. And, like, they've found ways to make the games uh, accessible without losing their reputation for being difficult. Like, they've found ways to modulate difficulty in non-traditional ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the other thing is that you, I think, run into... Uh, eventually you get to a point where, like, the kind of person who seeks employment at From Software is going to be the kind of person that wants to make those kinds of games. Mm. Like, you you seek out like there's there's always the there's always an infinite supply for for a big comp for a company that's become popular like that that there's but, an infinite supply of people in japanese companies since a lot of the studios tend to like bank on their particular style especially going back mm. 30 years or more in some cases yeah in in this case like you know there's an infinite supply of people who would be willing to work it from software because they want to make games like the From Software games that they like. And so... Uh, I mean, From could probably produce another game that is completely different from Souls. They just couldn't... They would just have to call it something completely different. It, it's also Enchanted just... Arms. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> maybe don't do that. Um, <laughs> but, maybe do it in a way that's actually good. Yes. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say was... I, I think the issue you'd run into is that there just isn't a lot of will within the people who work there like to make that kind of game because a lot of them at this point probably work there because that's because like these complicated hard games are the kinds of games they wanted to make <laughs> yeah. um, uh... institutional memory is the word i was wanting to go for is like yeah these studios have a lot of that going on for them yeah any 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 organization that has a uh a not unhealthy level of churn is going to have like the inertia that comes with institutional memory. We have a Which way of doing mostly things. Mostly Japanese here. software companies are not American ones. Yeah, sadly, not a lot of American companies with a lot of institutional memory. You get some of them, but you know, it's uh, it's then it's, they get bought out and churned, and then it goes away. Yep, and they become a husk. But yeah, uh. So yeah, you you get kind of a a sort of preference for uh, a self and a, a eternal self selection bias until enough company enough of the company leaves in a mass exodus to completely reshape the institutional makeup of the company. In which case, uh, the exodus usually forms another company that is doing the exact same kind of thing and. Possibly more focused. <laughs> Possibly multiples. Let's all talk about the sheer brain drain that happened to Falcom post East 2, the final chapter. <laughs> yep. And again, post East 3, Wanderers from East. <laughs> yep. uh, or, just, I mean, or just look at the entire family tree of Levadelic. Yep, they're, they're all still making their kinds of games, even when people don't expect them. <laughs> Especially where people don't mm. expect them. <laughs> like the Spanish yep. Inquisition. Hmm. Okay. I'm, honestly, honestly, if you... questions, by the way. Yeah, I'm looking at those right now. Let me just okay. take a peek. He had three more up this morning. Let's see. Oh, wait, I'm looking in the wrong place. That explains it. It's like, I don't see fire minor questions. It's like, I am in the wrong... <laughs> I am in the wrong chat. Okay. 
talked about overrated game developers, but among them, who had the strongest and or most embarrassing failed follow-up? In other words, what is the video game equivalent of Mike Strange Love's it. Summer in Paradise? I don't know that reference. Oh, Strangest. Uh, you don't know Summer in Paradise? That is an embarrassing Beach Boys album that sold approximately uh, less than 10,000 copies. Wow. Oh, wow. Count yourself That's lucky. Bad. Count yourself yeah, he... lucky you've never heard it. It has multiple tracks of Mike Love rapping. Oh, no. Uh -huh. yep. That's well, how we're hearing about Mike Love tonight because he's in all three questions. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but please know KG and Afune. Enough has been said about him. I wasn't actually going to bring him up. Uh, the strangest. I, I would say the strangest failed follow up. Not in terms of sales, but certainly in terms of like catching on in any sort of long-term fashion, uh, would be Warren Spector going on to Epic Mickey, which has all of the hallmarks of the kinds of things he loves, and it doesn't fully come together. I don't even dislike Epic Mickey, I think it's actually pretty decent, but it doesn't fully come together and it absolutely does not appeal to... Uh, it, it has a deeply uncertain audience, because it is... Mm -hmm. uh, cute 3D Mickey platformer, although with a lot of very strange dark undertones, that also has, like, a... that was also clearly designed with the notional idea of, like, a quest and morality system. That... Those are two extremely strange things to pair together in any context. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that would be... That would be one of the easy, like, ones to pull off the vine is... Uh, Epic Mickey was an extraordinarily strange thing to have happened, and it's kind of a it's kind of a shame that it wasn't allowed to keep happening because I wanted to see what what weird deranged places mm. it could have gone. Um, and it also required that Disney trade away a real life sportscaster for the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Um, which sportscaster? Really? I forget which one. Let me check. Uh, Lucky Rabbit, because like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was the character that Disney had made before Mickey. Uh, he was made in uh, conjunction with Universal Pictures. And this was this was the incident that taught Walt Disney all about how to why it's important to maintain personal copyright, and thus ruined copyright for everyone. Uh, yes, but. Yeah, uh, Oswald, uh, he lost control of him in 1928. Uh, inspiring him to form his own company to hold control over his own characters. Yeah. In 2006, the Walt Disney Company acquired the trademark of Oswald with NBC Universal, effectively trading Oswald for the services of Al Michaels as play by play announcer on Sunday Night Football. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that is uh, a weird trade. It was yep. it was an extremely strange. Like, obviously, they had no use for it, so they were basically, I think, angling for, well, what can we get out of them that we particularly want from them? And I guess they decided that they wanted someone to shore up commentary on their football program. But yeah, that's uh... and. Budai brings up, I guess, in answer to this question, Devil May Cry 2. Uh, that, one's, that one's weird, because, like, what we know about that game, uh, I, I don't even know if I would 
it doesn't even feel like it counts because like the credited director on that game was only there for the last four months of its development. Uh, essentially there to try to write the ship enough to make a releasable game. Mm -hmm. uh, and its Sir? director uh, its director was a, a fairly decorated Capcom guy who then went on to direct Devil May Cry 3 and Dragon's Dogma and like it's you know still at Capcom and still doing great work. Uh, but by his description, the way that Devil May Cry 2's team was structured before he got on, the game essentially didn't have a director. Oh, God. Which explains a great deal of the very unfocused nature of that game. Like, the, those last four months were probably largely him essentially doing triage and telling people, okay, stitch together this content to try to make something coherent. Uh, but yeah, this it's it's very much uh it's impressive that the game came out at all so i i don't even know if i would describe it as a failed follow-up because the team from devil may cry one kind of didn't make it and the team that did make it ended up making a much more successful follow-up under a much more like directed and focused leader so it's yeah just a thing that happened yeah, it's uh, it, it doesn't feel like it fully counts for this. Uh, failed follow-ups, failed follow-ups. Lost Planet. Um, are, we, are we talking Lost Planet 2 or Lost Planet 3? Because that has... Uh, plus, we didn't want to talk KG and Afune, and he's involved in that. Uh, that's uh, right. Yeah, I would say 3. Although, I, 2 didn't... That was... 2 didn't sell as well as 1. Is that true, or...? I don't remember. Uh, two, two sold better than one, but it didn't sell to as many people uh, relative to the install base of the systems at the time. Uh, three was farmed out to Spark Unlimited, uh, a company that Inafune had some weird strong ties to because they also ended up developing the game he executive produced, uh, Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z, but we promised not to talk too much about them. Uh, failed follow-ups that are weird as shit. Um... Uh, Two Human probably belongs on here somewhere. Uh, Ninja Gaiden Three. Oof, oof, that's a bad one. Yeah, that one, that one does belong on here as well. <laughs> uh, that was that was a weird one too because it was a weird homecoming for a guy who had worked on Ninja Gaiden on the NES. Uh, that you that we uh, discussed a game of his earlier. If you want to take a guess. Okay. Uh, uh, is it one of the weird games uh, that came out on Switch Online? Nope. Mm. Not not Quest for Camelot. Nope. Was it a shmup? Okay. No. Let me know when you give up. I give up. Give up. Masato Kato. Oh. Who Did you may know? know from Chrono Cross. Oh. oh. Okay. Masato Kato. Okay. Yeah, Masato Kato. Uh, did uh, art and scenario and uh, some direction on Ninja Guidance 1 through 3 on the NES. Huh. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, Ninja Gaiden, he, he came back to write the story of Ninja Gaiden 3, the reboot game. And Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2, the reboot games, don't have great stories. And Ninja Gaiden 3, the reboot game's story is much, much worse. Hmm. Huh. Holy shit bad. 
um, complete <laughs> complete failure. Uh, trying to do like a whole like the themes of like the violence you're inflicting upon these people, and it's like video game. You won't let me do resolve anything any other way. You don't get to <laughs> lecture me about violence. Um, but yeah, Ninja Gaiden Three. That's a that's that's one they really tried to simplify that game, uh, and you can tell that like they never fully like. They had to kind of just leave that genre behind. Like, the game was embarrassing enough that they kind of had to just stop making that kind of game. It's true. <laughs> like, uh, they, 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 there wasn't a Team Ninja game that was popular again until Neo. Uh, at least in the action genre, I should say. Speaking of uh, Team Ninja, like, making something that embarrasses them out of a genre, uh, Dead or Alive 6 seems to have killed that franchise stone dead. Ooh. Uh, although that seems to be as much for like the pervasively horrendous DLC scheme they came up with for it. Uh, that was a uh, that, but that one that, that was embarrassing for different reasons. But that absolutely uh, destroyed itself. Oh, and in that same milieu, uh, Devil's Third, uh, absolutely like a, a tragic, embarrassing follow-up for. Uh, X Team Ninja Head Tomonobu Idagaki. Uh, so, the answer is that uh, the the late the early tens were were a bad time to be Team Ninja or Team Ninja adjacent. Oh boy! Uh, why did Metroidvania explode as an indie genre? How to phrase this? There's an old joke about the Velvet Underground that uh, only a thousand people ever bought a Velvet Underground album, but all of them started bands. Uh, <laughs> Super Metroid is not... Uh, Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night are not that level of unsuccessful, but the answer is that people who loved those games were inordinately predisposed to want to make games. <laughs> um. And as far as game genres go, it has a certain level of complexity while also being fairly... can't believe I'm saying Achievable on a small team. Yes. Yes. I mean, the last thing that they are is straightforward in level design half the time, but at the same time, its goal for the development cycle is fairly straightforward. Yeah, you know you've what got... you're trying for. <sighs> yeah, it, it's a straightforward design ethos. Uh, you can immediately, like, if you've got, you you can, if you've got certain power ups that are that you haven't seen in another game, you can sort of immediately point at them and say, "This is what's different about mine. It has this kind of like movement and traversal, or it does this or that." Uh, and yeah, as mentioned disproportionate amount of them wanted to make disproportionate amount of the kind of person who got obsessed with old metroidvanias are the kind of person that like because you have to think a lot about how they fit together you end up attracting the kind of person who thinks a lot about how games fit together and that kind of person is disproportionately the kind of person that wants to make them <laughs> uh, but everyone bought metroid and castlevania games like it's important for you to capture the millennials who came of age in the 80s and guess what everyone had the uh, every one of them had an NES. Yes and no. Uh, Metroid was popular on the NES. I would never dispute that it was, but it was definitely not as popular as a lot of the other games in that 
uh, era, and beyond that, Castlevania at the time, the least popular of the Castlevanias of that era, is the one that was most credibly a Metroidvania. Uh, although it, Simon's Quest honestly probably has more in common with the uh, side-scrolling PC action RPGs you would get on a PC-8801 or something. Uh, but yeah, like people did buy those, but uh, again, disproportionate amount of the people playing Metroidvanias or, uh, and obsessing over Metroidvanias are the kinds of people that like to think about how games fit together and those kinds of people want to make them. Uh, so you get that uh, explosion, same, same way you saw uh, explosions of indie RPGs. Uh, mm -hmm. People who care about Rogue RPGs likes. probably have... <laughs> Yeah, people who care about these probably have... For, for RPGs, I would say it's uh, as much uh, that a certain generation of people has saw that as, like, I have, like, a world I want to show or a story I want to tell, and I like games, so I will make... Uh, so that story will take the form of a game, an RPG, because that's what I grew up playing. Uh Let's see. I want to know how popular was Contra in Japan, whether Japanese people who played the original would actually work in games. Uh, I have no idea how successful Contra actually was in Japan. I've never heard uh, strong indications. I would imagine reasonably I mean, so. <laughs> I mean, given the time period it came out and the fact that it's... I mean, I, I can tell you that Secondhand copies of those games fetch a very high price in the stores. Mm -hmm. Hardcore uh, fans definitely still love them, at the very least. Yeah. And that the, there still remains a genre of action games that are very obviously derived from the original Contra and things yep. like Metal Slug and others, other series. Yeah, the um, run and gun shooters. Yeah, the run and gunners. Um, the, the genre still survives, and a lot of it was pioneered by Contra. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting a lot of people really enjoyed it back in the mid-80s. Yeah. Let's hit a couple of the other ones in the Discord so that we don't miss out on them. Uh, speaking of which, which game had a terrible feature that people could see miles away how bad it was, and it still somehow made it in the game? What is the game equivalent of, <laughs> of my club summer vlog? This keeps happening. Uh, yeah. Like, bad yeah, idea executed. Yeah, all three questions. Yeah, I, I feel like the, I feel like he was on something. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to think of like features that are just bad idea executed badly. Uh, uh, individual features like this. Uh, to, to pull up something from a Castlevania game, I feel like the second they announced stealth elements, uh, like a stealth mechanic in Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2, literally every human being on the planet said, why? <laughs> and in the final game, it sucks and is bad, and it's only saving grace is that it's very easy. But, uh... Uh, in general, oh, uh... Basically anything, like, I could list, like, five features in Lunar Dragon Song. Uh, where, like, anyone looking at it would say, that sounds like a terrible idea. And then you play it, and it's like, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> so, like, um, the... Any of the mini-games in the DS version of Final Fantasy IV? I forgot there were even mini-games in that. I've been playing that. What exactly. mini-games were there? <laughs> so, I mean, well, like... Uh, they, uh, wait, I mean, wait, were, wait, were, wait, 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 
We're individualized what version? Characters. What version DS, are you playing? DS. 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 Okay. Yes. Because there's the thing. The remake of the the DS version that is available on like Steam does not have the mini games. I have been playing the DS version. Okay. So yeah, for the D the for the DS version, the individual characters in your party have their own mini games. And so, for example, Rosa has a I think I think it was Rosa who had a meditation mini game where you had to hold the stylus on the touch screen for as close to ten seconds as you could without going over, without a timer. Yeah, that's that's an appeal to no one. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just like just some of these very basic mini games, like um, I mean, the Rose one's a variation on the Giddy Giddy uh, mini game mm -hmm. style. Yeah, um, as you can see in others, but none of them were particularly well implemented. Um, it was questionable whether or not there was any benefit to doing them. Um, I think they tried to give a benefit to it, but I don't remember what it was. You probably just get like items or some shit. I have not interfaced with them at all. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, but honestly, for this question, I think it'd have to be something that was actually advertised first, and is obviously an issue. <laughs> thing. Um, I mean, some like anything random to do with the microphone or camera pickups on the DS. Some of those, some of those work. Some of them don't. I've I've definitely played but, games where they added something, but yeah. More often than not, uh, you kind of hoped that you didn't have to interface with them too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like Girlfriend DS. Oh, love Plus, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Apparently there were stories about Japanese players who were like embarrassed to have to say, I love you, loudly to the microphone and the DS while they were on the bus. <laughs> but no I'll one was never forget the guy who got... Uh, who actually got married, and part of his marriage ceremony was his was allowing his wife to destroy his Love Plus cartridge. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing beats the anti or the DRM for that game, however. Oh God! Yeah, they'll just like complain at you for okay. being terrible to them. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, if if you're playing a, a hacked copy of this game and the checksum fails on the first save. And your DS girlfriend immediately dumps you, calls you a bastard, refuses to do anything with you no matter how many gifts you give her, and every other girl in the game also tells you you're a bastard. <laughs> hey, uh, what, what a yeah. way to... What a way to... But, no, but no one was embarrassed enough to not yell objection to Ace Attorney to, your, to their DS. I still do that, even when I'm not playing a game with a microphone. <laughs> um. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's still my one of my favorite stories out of the R four period of DS um, gaming. Is just like my girlfriend hates the, me. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the perfect way of doing DRM for this thing. Reminds me it's of like, the yeah. fucking Michael Jackson game that uh, overdubbed all of the music with fucking vuvuzelas. If you uh, if it detected a pirate <laughs> copy. And, and of course, and of course, Earthbound. Yeah. Earthbound. Yeah. Dear sweet Earthbound. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Which didn't even necessarily need the DRM. It was just that what was it? Originally, they were planning on putting it on the on a disk system that never actually happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but I brings up a but I brings up a good one actually. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't. Uh, he brings up. I couldn't stand Dark Cloud One's weapon breaking system. That's one of those ones where, like, you read about how it works, and it's like that seems ridiculous. That seems like a bad idea. And then you play it, and it's like that was a bad idea because, like, the way the weapon breaking works in Dark Cloud One is that if your weapon breaks, it it disappears, it goes away, and you can't level up in Dark Cloud One. All of the power is in the weapons. Oh, so that's, that's really like- bad. <laughs> Oh. Well, uh, I mean, that that's... I mean, even in Kodelka, where you could level up, the weapons broke and were gone. So, not much better. Yeah, but it's... it's yeah. In a game where all of the character progress is stored in the weapons, making it so weapons could break and be unrecoverable was just, like, an obvious bad idea yeah. from the start. Yeah, I mean... In general, you have to be really careful with weapons breaking to begin with. Mm-hmm. You like, need to give um, the player a lot of notice, and generally, you probably just want to let them have a broken weapon that they can go and repair. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm thinking like Final Fantasy Legend 2, where you can mm-hmm. see how many uses were left for any given weapon. Yeah. Also, the way the game was paced, by the time you actually ran out of uses, you were probably weapon, getting you a better had enough weapon. gold to pay for a new one, or just you had already found an upgrade somewhere. Mm-hmm. Unless you were playing mm-hmm. as a robot, which got half the usages, but whenever they rested at an inn, it would repair the weapons. Unless there's a weapon with only one or two uses, so or one use. Yeah, although there was a <laughs> although there was a separate glitch in at least the U.S. version where the two weapons that had unlimited uses had usages. Fun. Ooh. Yeah, the Masamune really. and the Excalibur were limited-use weapons. Good times. I never US realized program. that. You'll probably finish the game before it matters. <laughs> a before it matters. Okay. But, Not realize yeah. that. I will admit I never beat that. I never beat that game without game genie codes. Really? Oh, I beat it all the time without game game genie codes, but do you? Okay. I, I um, was not that good. <laughs> Yep. I also uh, went I mean, in with an entire army of robots. It's probably not the best group to go in against the final boss. Just because, especially in the Game Boy version, there was no good way of healing your robots in battle. Uh, uh, well, um, but yeah, different game that did weapon breaking. Saga Frontier 2 actually did it pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. There, there are ways Again, to make weapon breaking work. Yeah. But... I mean... Yeah, that that combination of making all of your power be stored in the weapon and making it so you could lose the weapon permanently—it's just that's just a bad combo. Like, you work so hard, you work so hard. Now you're deleveled. <laughs> this is an unrecoverable mistake. You have to grind out a. You have to find the best weapon you had in your backups and grind it up. <laughs> uh, what is the coolest? That, that, non- I think that one counts. I think that's definitely our winner so far. Yeah, what is the coolest non-human character in the Saga franchise? Coolest non-human... There's such a huge number to choose from. Yeah, if we're including mutants, espers, whatever you want to call them, that that ends up expanding the pool to maybe most of the characters in the franchise. Uh, Now, mutants, espers, and mystics as one group, those count as human enough. Yeah, so. yeah. If we're if we're deciding that though we're we're only it's counting like robots one. and monsters, then mm-hmm. yep. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, for Saga Two DS, the ro- one of the robot models had kitty ears. Gotta love it. 
I love that, yeah. Um, but you know what? Let's see. Um, Romancing Saga series, you had... Romancing Saga 3, you had Lobster Man. <laughs> oh, God, it was surprisingly useful. We love you, Lobster Man. Yes. Um, what else? Saga Frontier, that was like... That was actually half your cast. Um, yeah. Um, Saga Frontier 2 had no non-human characters. Yeah. I, I will always have a soft spot for T260G in Saga Frontier, though. Yes, yes. T260G. It was the only one that I actually beat the game with. Hmm. Uh, Unlimited Saga. I love all the designs in Unlimited Saga. I think there are non-humans in there. Yeah, one of the uh, characters. One of the principal characters is. Yeah, yeah, I remember. It, it looks similar to Riki little, from. Yeah, it was a cute little moppet. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's, it's hard to tell how cool they are because it's it's a Unlimited Saga and it's a deeply complicated game. But, yeah. I it is bad. I love the art. <laughs> no, it's it's. An example of somebody's personal quest for creativity going too far. Yep. It's it's the only game where I was, I mean, on the old site where we could have a lot more control over, you know, um, manipulating the page, the HTML for the page, page for template, reviews. Yeah. Yeah. If I had ever actually reviewed um, um, Unlimited Saga for the old site, I probably would have just hacked the sidebar to include an extra bar for um, for creative or. Um, for um, creativity, what was it? I, I probably would have said madness, but <laughs> no. Um, originality. Oh. Originality. That was it. Um, instead of having a five-point bar, um, do a double bar for to give it ten because definitely scale. had originality coming out the the wazoo. Was just that was one of its issues. Was it had yeah. creativity coming out the wazoo? I kind of still hope that we can get a get a like proper re-release, remaster, remake something for Unlimited. I want to see what that looks like, but at the very least, include reasonable, the non-opaque information about how to play the game. <laughs> but I just actually asked who other than me would buy an Unlimited Saga remaster day one. It's like, buddy, I'll be there with bells on and get confused ten minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> Honestly, I, I wouldn't mind it just for the chance to play it in English. Because, I mean, just imagine yeah. trying to play the thing in Japanese. Oh, I, I refuse to. I will not. All... You cannot make me imagine that. It's, it's, ama it's amazing how many kanji I have learned simply because of that game. I, I own the Japanese version. Uh, it's it's very cheap. It was very Man. cheap 15 years ago when I bought it, secondhand. Man, Man Wheels. It was the first game I ever uh, saw for less than 500 yen at the store for a PlayStation 2. Man Wheels first uh, properly commiserated uh, in an IRC chat trying to... We, we were both working to try to fucking understand Unlimited Saga. <laughs> like, that was that's the secret origin. <laughs> that is why this podcast exists. Man Wheels commiserating in an IRC chat about how the fuck this game functions. <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. That was like 13 years ago. Fuck. <laughs> sure was. I'm old and tired. We're dying. We're dying. Mm -hmm. uh, so should yeah. we put this uh, podcast to bed or do we still have to do the big list? We've got, we've got the big list and there's still one more question in the Discord. Uh, okay. Third Mike Love third question. Mike question. 
we recently talked about games that had the developer's fetish on display. Oh, God. Uh, would it become grosser if you know more about the developer as a person or if they become the marketing face of the product? Yes. For example, what is yes. grosser to you? 60-year-old Mike Love rapping about Bikini Babes or 60-year-old Itagaki giving a presentation about the latest features of a hypothetical dead or alive extreme? Uh, both of them suck for the exact same reasons, and I hate them both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, There they, is... Oh, I'm, I'm, I know there's was either a game or an anime I was either playing or watching recently where it was, you could tell it was someone's pure fetish as to how this... You could be talking about dozens of things. I know, and I know, and I, I'm leaving, I don't remember which one it was, and I'm kind of glad because it was, it, yeah, just no. I'm reminded of an old, uh, an old comic of the, uh, an old page of the old webcomic gun show uh that like the thing that never left my vocabulary was uh the quote dare you enter my magical realms oh 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 i know the meme no 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 <laughs> you come across the enchanted piss forest yeah, I, the um, wizard have made the piss forest you see before you dare you enter my magical realm Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. R R P RPG horror stories on Reddit is full of things like this. Yeah, there's um, a, there's a certain per kind of person that when they get access to a creative outlet, they will they they do not they do not leave their fetishes at the door. And think, I mean, shows up a lot more often in tabletop games than computer games just because tabletop games are easier to get into like that. You you don't have to do anything more than like r make it make some decisions and rope some unsuspecting fools in. But mm -hmm. yeah. Uh which is which is not to say that there isn't there is not room for people just making things that uh, cater to their interests no matter how prurient. But at the same time Maybe don't Trojan horse those into things that uh, you've advertised as not being about that. <laughs> but yeah, um, in, in general, like the, the there's a certain amount of uh, assumption that like things people make are going to feature things that appeal to them, and as long as I know very little about you, uh, it can be fine. And so that does give you a degree of a veil of anonymity for a lot of people working in game development. There could be, like, you know, just about everything's a fetish at this stage. So, like, you're just going to have to accept that someone someone probably had too much interest in certain elements of most every game you've ever played. Um, but it, it's one of those things that, like, it's fine if you don't... As long as you don't know it's fine, it's not hurting. But the second that you know too much about someone, it, it colors the work, and you want to know less about them. And that's this is true of Mike Love as much as it is of Tomonobu Itagaki. I don't know who Ooh, Mike boy. Love is, I, I will, and I think I prefer it that way. Yeah. Uh, j just generally not a person who stands up to being uh, examined in too many ways in general. So uh, stay the course. Okay, we're going to hit one in the big list of questions, and then we're going to call it a night. So let me just pop that open.
Okay. Scroll, 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 scroll. Uh, something quick, something quick. Uh, um, your favorite case of bug or bad feature in a video game uh, that is as iconic as it is annoying. Like Lars Ulrich's drum, I assume he's referencing the hideous, like, drum that's playing, uh, that's, like, bury, burying half the mix in uh, St. Anger, especially. Uh, but um, favorite case of a bug or ill-considered feature that's iconic uh, as it is annoying. So, my favorite bug in a video game is specific to my copy mm. of the video game. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I have a copy of Mega Man X3 that mm -hmm. does not have the mini-boss fight in either Stage 1 or Stage 2 of the uh, of uh, Sigma's Castle, where you're supposed to be able to get uh, Zero Sword. So you uh -huh. can't trigger to get Zero Sword in my copy of Mega Man X3. That is strange. It is a very unique bug, and I've I've even tried to research this online. Like, and there's like the boss, the mini boss doesn't even show up, which is how you have to trigger it. So, you know, you get to the room, you just walk straight through the room, and you're done. So is it is a very specific bug to my copy of Mega Man X3. And I've tried to research mm. online to see if other people have had this happen, and I haven't really found it. No, it is an official, fully boxed SNES cartridge of Mega Man X3. Box, manual, I bought it brand new. Hmm. Uh, that is just different. Let me think. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of ones that are, like, iconic to the game. Yeah, so uh, it's iconic to me, but it's not necessarily hmm. iconic to the game. Yeah, I'm trying to think of ones that, like, have really defined the game's reputation. Like, the, the most the, the most obvious one is the, uh, the, or at least the one that most immediately comes to mind in terms of, like, people being affectionate about it, is the... Uh, the damage to like force transfer that exists in Skyrim that causes you to just sort of get rocketed if you get hit by something strong enough. Uh, but I'm trying to think of some other ones. There's ones, uh, one, one that I would say that's iconic as it is annoying is. Uh, at least among people who played it at the time, it's that the original System Shock's uh, weapon degradation is bugged. It's, it's Weapons degrade way faster than they're supposed to. Uh, and it... Uh, it was one of those situations where, like, in general, the first thing anyone gets advised to do is to go into the console and fuck with weapon degra degradation to make it more reasonable. Uh, 
one that is likely to end up coloring the game's reputation for years to come uh, that was recent was uh, Baldur's Gate 3. All of the threshold, the approval thresholds to start romances in Baldur's Gate 3 on launch were considered to be significantly lower than they were supposed to be. Uh, which is why the game immediately developed a reputation of, why is everyone horny in this game? <laughs> which is funny because... Uh... Our, our associate Kelly, who does RPG cast and mm. uh, RPG backtrack, she couldn't get any of them to roll. Yeah, we were talking with. about this last night while recording backtrack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just that's just reminding me of um, Murder Gandhi from Civilization. Oh yeah, that one's iconic. Gandhi will. Yeah. That, that uh, one's that one's the most iconic but actual real bug that I can think of. Yeah, and there's this eternal like back and forth among people who worked on it about whether he's supposed to be that way as a joke or whether it's uh, something, whether it was a bug or perhaps it started as a bug and became a joke. But I was, I was pretty sure that at least for the first game, I mean, definitely for the first game that it was a bug because somebody hadn't considered the overflow issue. They, they've, they've, and every they've, other they've, game after that was intentional. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Is there is a claim uh, like the, the official story is that it's an underflow bug that his... Uh, that he his aggression was set so low that it underflows to being maximum aggression. But there are other people who worked on the game who have claimed, no, we did that as a joke. So it's one of those, like, no one can quite say it's possible that during development it was a bug that became a feature. It's, it's hard to... There are ways to reconcile both claims, but it is one of those things where, like, multiple people are saying different things and it's hard to say who's lying. <laughs> but... If nothing else, I would guess that it probably, at least during development, was a bug. It's just a question of whether it was a bug by the time Civilization 1 released. But, uh, in any case, print the legend because it's fun. Uh, but, I'm trying to think of any others like this. Uh, really just iconic bugs. Uh, the most iconic, one of the most iconic bugs you can come up with is one that didn't actually ship, but completely changed the course of a different game. Uh, and that's the bug in Animusha that would cause enemies to just get trapped in the air and you could just keep slashing them. Which is what turned into Devil oh. May Cry. Yep. Actually, actually they were doing. Hmm? I, I remembered one. What's that? Uh, Team Fortress 2. Mm hmm. There was oh, a... the origins of the spy. Yeah, the origins oh, of the yeah, spy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a bug, and they made it a f and they made it a full blown character f based around mm -hmm. it. They were like, "Oh, that, why is this happening? Oh, that's kind of cool the way that's happening. You know, can we do something with this? Sure, let's do something with this spy." If we're if we're doing team based gameplay, what what more uh, could you ask for than someone whose job it is to go and fuck up the other team without them realizing it? <laughs> Um, I I know I mean I know I've mentioned before about Octodad was based off of a different game's issues with controls. Yep, yeah, that's a great one. Nobody suspects a thing. Octodad. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's a decent uh, selection. If I can think of any more before next week, I'll try to bring those back. But for now, 
But yeah, uh, for wait, now. Did I show you a thing? Oh, did I show you a? Th I don't think I showed the thing. I may need to show the thing. For, for now, I think we're going to need to start wrapping things up. So, especially since uh, we're losing wheels. Yeah, we've been losing wheels for the last two hours. Uh, Oof. So moving on, uh, Gaijin, perk him up by telling him about fine books and uh, readables. Aha! Uh -huh. Oh yes, we again, once again, for your reading enjoyment, we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, if you enjoy tabletop RPGs, if you enjoy watching other people play tabletop RPGs, and this is somehow still a thing, um, <laughs> if you get what's the right word here, a vicarious thrill from witnessing other people's poor dice rolls and poorer social decisions. And if you don't mind seeing all this in dead tree format or more ecologically friendly, electro perhaps, book format, <laughs> electro library, um, then again, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, nom de Google. Um, for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, we have, it's, let's count it, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, click. 12 episodes available shortly. Um, Damn. Oh, come on. I've got to refresh that page. Soon enough, <laughs> 12 episodes, um, three side quests, and a really long paralogue that was, you know, uh, slightly indulgent on my part. I probably could have cut that down a little bit. Eh. Why, hey, not? Why not, read, though? Somebody read through the entire thing on Kindle Unlimited last month. It made my day. It made my week. <laughs> Me like uh, I, I seem to recall the, the latte report wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah. It was actually... It was, yeah. Ooh, I left, left this thing open too long. I'm going to have to completely exit it. Okay, well, in a moment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, again, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, just um, as many weird dice rolls as I could possibly manage. Uh, <laughs> Roll with the punches. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's the very similitude, you know. I mean every time you actually see the results of a dice roll in the story, you know I actually rolled something. Um, even if it's rolling for a new character and getting five out of a forty-six roll. <laughs> I, I told you about that a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember this, and it still it still haunts me. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like the third episode, somebody rolled a one, and then immediately after they rolled a twenty, and like, yep, truth stranger than fiction. Yep, some fun things in here, and have a character with a rod of wonder. It's been fun. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, nothing. <laughs> when are you going to give them the deck of many things? Never. <laughs> um... <laughs> I mean, at least the Rod of Wonder had a, uh, a reasonable set of possibilities coming up, including one that I've been waiting to see for 12 episodes now, and it just happened episode 12. Oh, man. Now there's yeah. something to, uh, to look for. Yeah. But yeah, the Rod of Wonder can do good things. Like, the deck of many things is just a please fuck me over as, as obnoxiously as you can imagine. <laughs> it's like, draw this card. What happens? You get sent to another plane of existence. 
Does anyone else is know it no. anything, anything short of a wish cannot even reveal where you are. Yeah. Uh. No, I mean, uh, under the rules of reality in this game, in this particular game, most, or like over half of the effects in the deck of many things would actually break reality. <laughs> and as, as per the rules of reality, reality does not take lightly, um, take kindly to this, and will attempt to break the person back preemptively. <laughs> so, wi uh, wizardry is a bit more difficult here. <laughs> reminds me of the uh, the rules of uh, altering the timeline in the old Legacy of Kane games. We never actually yeah. see it happen, but a character points out, if you fuck up the timeline hard enough, the timeline might decide that it's easier to just throw you out of the timeline than deal with whatever change you just tried to make. Huh. Yeah. I mean, why me bullshit? But, yeah. Yeah. So, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Give that a look. Uh, if I have to answer Fire Miner real quick. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did watch Rebel Season 5 Fire Miner. Or what's been released. But so in far. live action. Yes, it's very good. With a Luke homunculus. True. Homunculus. Uh, yes. No, oh. it's, it's very good. Honestly, anything. Dave Filoni has been working on lately has been excellent as far as Star Wars goes. So uh, the shows are better than the movies. So there you go. Yeah, there we are. It happens sometimes. But, uh, yeah, highly recommend it, especially if you watch Rebels and or Clone Wars. Especially uh, if you watch Rebels, because obviously it's a direct follow up. Okay. Yes. But Hey, episode 12, final, it went through, it is under review, it should be available by the time by I the, by, tomorrow Yeah, by Ooh. the time that this shows up on RP Gamer, then this we will be, uh, it will be available for your reading pleasure. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, Tam, tell us about RP Gamer stream schedules. Um, so streams, stream, uh, stream schedules at uh, twitch.tv slash rpgamer, which uh, the Q&A quest is a production of, um, has been a little bit wonky lately um, due mm -hmm. to varied factors. We've had some people on vacation. We've had a couple people out sick. Um, however, uh, Scar is back with his retro wheel Tuesdays and Fridays in the afternoon. Uh, Hairfrog is still going through trying to defeat all the Bales and all the Disgaeas. Uh, Terrifying. He, I know, he, he, he's hit a snag with D2. Hmm. Uh, apparently You'd think it'd be guy, smooth sailing by the time you reach that, but... Uh, D2, they added some new things to him and have made him even more difficult than Disgaea 4. Oh, Hell! <laughs> Yeah. Got it. Uh, so, well, then I might tune into that suffering later. Uh, he, uh, he is doing so. He is still doing Disgaea D two grinding on Sundays, but he's now started Disgaea five on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like, yeah, I'm going to have to keep grinding on this one, and it's going to take a lot of time. So, Rip. don't want that to be the only stream you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Although some people have been really enjoying just watching, <laughs> watching him go at it. Uh, <laughs> I've had some weird sleep issues due to my inability to regulate cold, so my Tuesday and Thursday this week did not happen. Um, I'm That's thinking rough. if, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'm thinking next week if that if it happens again, I'm just going to start early and 
and at a different time slot timetable because of the fact not much I can do. Uh, Paul, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to catch any uh, last minute schedule changes if you're following RP Gamer on Twitch. <laughs> and that would be the best course of action, just because we've had a lot of uh, schedule weirdness lately. So, uh, and again, Twitch.tv/RPGamer. But we have a lot of people who stream all sorts of RPGs at all different times, and uh, even on weekends. Uh, I have been trying to put on some extra streams then. So, yeah, check us out. Indeed, and if your streaming bug is forever, for whatever reason, still not sated, you can also check twitch.tv slash askwheels on Thursday nights uh, at midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific, to catch a recording live of Q&A Quest. You can ask questions like, dear friends, Fireminer and Budai did this week. Uh, we very much appreciate that. Uh... Uh, like, uh, you can also ask us questions in the podcast section or in the comments section. Damn it, I just realized I did not check the comments section. Hopefully there wasn't anything in there, but I'll check it next week. And we usually check the last three episodes, just in case. Um, but yeah, if you want to ask us questions, you can ask us if you catch us streaming live in the Twitch chat, or you can ask us questions in the comments section or in the podcast section of the Discord, like dear friend Fireminer did. Uh, we always appreciate your questions. Gives us a lot of things to go on really strange tangents from. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'd also like to once again shout out uh, the now asleep Smoking Joe Gamer on Twitch. Give his uh, Twitch streams a watch. He's currently doing a themed month for Sega games. I have suggested many terrible choices, uh, <laughs> different from... Different from the different from the schmuffs I was suggesting earlier in this very episode. Uh, hopefully, he does not follow my choices because they involve games with names like Three Dirty Dwarves. But I mean, <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to watch to find out. So yeah, give that a look. Twitch.tv/smokingjoegamer archives end up on his YouTube channel, which can also be found by searching for Smoke and Joe Gamer. So give that a look. Uh, Otherwise, we uh, bridging that gap, uh, Wheels, me, and Joe, and occasionally when they have the opportunity, Tam and Gaijin uh, also stream on Sunday nights at midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific for shenanigans. Uh, what are we like? Last week we did uh, survival mode in Shredder's Revenge. Yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, what did we have planned for this week? Didn't have anything. I think maybe we'll return to Pokemon and start getting ready for the DLC. Oh yeah, because the DLC's out in this uh, this month. Yeah. So yeah, Pokemon Scarf. Uh, uh, get get ready for us to just sort of dick around. That'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and occasionally we will leave in whatever we're playing with uh, Street Fighter matches. So, that, uh, that's, uh, that's every Sunday. Uh, we will likely have some time off at the end of October or beginning of November. Uh, more details to follow when that happens. But otherwise, uh, we will be. Uh, but otherwise, see you next week. Hopefully, see you, Space Cowboys. See you.
Merci. Euh... Ah, ah.